does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. I'm a little confused it, by yeah, the is, open. Is this because Halloween's over? Or is yeah. it because it's four degrees outside? No, it's uh, November 1st. You know what that means, boys. <laughs> you better put up the lights. Mariah's is that what it means? taking over. Oh, wow. I honestly thought that was being played because... I thought it was a mistake. Greg Doyle's <laughs> comment about Josh McDaniels comes to fruition in the wee hours of... You can, Halloween turning you can spin into November. It however you want. I feel like I feel like Greg Doyle woke up at three a.m. He got a he got an internal alarm. What? Josh McDaniels? That pissant has been fired. Yes. Outside yes. of the Anthony Richardson moments, <laughs> Josh McDaniels getting fired is that the best thing that's happened to Colts fans? Oh, it's here fa- in it's, it's absolutely fantastic. It really is. Uh, wake up call. He's Kevin Bowen. He survived last night in the cold. Mark Dighton producing today's effort. He did the same. Uh, I was in my warm house passing out candy handfuls to uh, 30 kids that came by. I'm Andy Sweeney. We got you for the next three hours. Stephen Holder going to join us. Alex Golden going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, fellas, good morning. We made it through. You made it through, KB? How you feeling? Yeah, good. Good. I, I mean, there were some moments last night. I'm like, okay, we're, here we are. We're, I mean, this is the Bowens. Let's build character. Come on now, Rosie <laughs> Max. Uh, and then I'm like, uh, that's literally the most meathead comment you've ever made as a father. Uh, so yeah, Max in the wagon, dinosaur costume. Ah, uh, the wagon. Uh, I don't know, 12, 14 houses. I had him. I had hand warmers. I'm handing him. I'm like, you know, literally just grab these, buddy. They're, no. they're Sam Ellingers. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm like, don't put them in your mouth, but just, you know, use these for your fingers. Uh, Rosie probably about 30 houses, but... Ah, good for her. I was somewhat disappointed, but understandable. I came home and literally the bucket full of candy that I have probably eaten half of it over the past month and was hoping the other half would be gone by last night. I swear no one took one piece of candy. That was the same for us. Came home, did some trick-or-treating, bowls full, Ugh. got home. I was like, all right, leave the door open, lights on, not a soul. Yeah. Should like, we have moved Halloween to last Saturday or this Saturday, or is that too Well, soft? now listen, I have, I have known... Because that's a hot take. No, no, it's it's been done before in areas that I've lived where they're like, Tuesday is going to be terrible, but Monday or Wednesday is going to be beautiful. Let's move it up a day. It's going to be 25 degrees. But again, is that too not, soft? I, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, then you need to take your kids out to 50 houses instead of, instead of 12 to 15. I, right. I don't know what You're to right. tell you. I just threw some bourbon and Irish cream in the coffee, and I was like, let's oh, go. Man, that's oh, man, yeah, what I'm talking about. some spiked cider, to say there the you, least. There you that go. That was very helpful, and it does piss me off that the Midwest just has no no fall at all. It's just summer into winter. Yeah. Well, yeah. Where's like the 58-degree sunny day or yeah. the 62-degree sunny day? Good Wednesday morning to you. The start of November. Mark Dykton with quite the intro there. Hopefully, you all are still tuning in after hearing, <laughs> although I do love Mariah Carey's voice. That was a bit jarring to start this wake-up call here with KB. And Andy, the Colts are back to work today. All of a sudden, like a Juju Brents injury watch at week 10 of the season or week 9 of the season is uh, paramount news. Uh, No trades for the Colts yesterday. We did see, I'd say, what, about a half dozen notable moves around the league. We'll touch on some of those uh, and give our thoughts on the Colts. And then tonight, Andy, with the Pacers and Celtics, sitting there watching the Rick Carlisle press conference yesterday before they board a plane 
to Boston. And, you know, just typical questions tossed Rick's way through the first handful of minutes. And it's getting to what I would imagine is the end of the press conference. And all of a sudden, Tony East is like, yeah, how are you guys doing health-wise? And next thing you know, Rick's like, yeah, Tyrese and Benedict will be questionable at best. I'm like, dear Lord. I mean, that's kind of a big deal when you're playing the Celtics on a Wednesday night. Uh, Elbow injury, right elbow. I don't know if any elbow is a good injury, let alone the right elbow for Benedict Matherin. And then Tyrese Halliburton, an ankle injury. And as we sit here 12 hours and change away from tip-off, in my opinion, this will be the biggest underdog the Pacers are all season long, 11 and a half points. All right, let me ask you this. Boston. If the Bally's app doesn't work tonight and those two don't play, do you guys care? Because I would have liked to see the Chicago game and maybe to hell with the Bally's, just go ahead and take this one off. I mean, if those two guys don't play. <laughs> By the way, I sound like I feel better, but I do sound like I smoked 33 cigarettes before I walked in the drivehuber.com studios yeah. today. I'm like, did you have a yeah. black and mild or two as you were awaiting? I sound like Marge Shots. That's, like that's what I sound like. sweets guy. <laughs> Oh, God. I haven't had one of those forever. I might throw up if I had one of those, honestly. Yeah, I I, I, I know it would not go well for, <laughs> for myself. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it is a huge bummer, uh, to say the least, whether you want to look at it from entertainment value or, again, um, I mean, obviously with Matherin, you hope it's nothing too, too serious with the right elbow injury. Jalen Smith is also questionable. So, you know, Andy, the Pacers had a great bill of health through the first three games of the season, uh, but it looks like tonight they potentially could be shorthanded in Boston. Yeah, so we get ready for that game. We'll keep uh, having fun with some Halloween stuff. I did last night because uh, I'm sick and twisted. Really had nothing to do. A couple different numbers as it pertains to Shane Steichen, his couple years in Philadelphia, what he's doing now, and it has to center around running the football, how many times Jalen Hurts threw the football, Gardner Minshew. I want to dive into that, and then, you know, I I think we got to be honest with ourselves. Uh, it is, I don't know. I, I mean, the the game against New Orleans for the Colts felt like not an elimination game, but it did feel like a fork in the road. I, I don't think that was a hot take, and I think ultimately fans saw it that way. I think we saw it that way on the show here. Uh, but the you know the Carolina game, you know the Saints have a lot of talent. Carolina doesn't have a lot of talent. The Saints have a quarterback that, even though I don't care much for Carr, a lot of people say, hey, this is still a really good player in the NFL. They have Alvin Kamara. They have guys like that. Carolina doesn't. And then you throw in the Frank Reich stuff on top of it. And I'm not saying it's a big game. The 425 games, for the most part, I mean, you have Carolina and the Colts, and you have the Giants and the Raiders, okay? And I, what's the other one? There's another big uh, one. Eagles. Is Eagles Cowboys, so obviously the entire country is going to be watching that. Um, but this Carolina game, you know, I said this yesterday, KB. When it comes to Carolina and New England, they aren't good teams. Like they're not even like I teams. They're not even average teams. You could make the case with the Saints, with the Rams. Obviously, the Browns have spent a nice amount of the season. If the playoffs were to end today, they would be in. I think that's the case even today. Like there are units within those teams. There are players within those teams that you have a ton of respect for. That's not the case with Carolina and New England. And then you throw the Frank Reich stuff on top of it. Uh, If if the Colts were to go up there and lay an egg in Carolina, I think at 3-6 and with a horrific loss against Carolina in four straight, I think we'd be dealing with a different animal than we're dealing today. It's a Wednesday. It's a hump day. That means we turn the page to the Carolina Panthers. I think the other thing about 
where the Colts are at three and five, three straight losses, is Andy, one week will not shift the thinking. One week will not, you know, if you would have beaten Jacksonville, all of a sudden it's like, man, with that win, you're right there in the AFC South picture. If you would have beaten Cleveland, all right, one win, you're right there in the wild card picture. Even last week of the Saints, if you would have gotten to four and four, I mean, hell, yesterday might have been different for the Colts in terms of how they handled the the trade deadline. At three and five, three straight losses, an NFC opponent, considering the schedule upcoming, you're going to need multiple wins to change whatever storyline there is as the month of November uh, gets underway today. So um, I I think that is something about this week and stringing into next week, and then obviously you have your bye after that. And also, to your point, yeah, Carolina got their first win last week, but there should be a big discrepancy between these two teams. And Vegas is telling us that. What's Vegas saying? Three-point favorite. Well, doesn't Carolina get three for playing at home? So theoretically, on paper, the Colts are six points better than Carolina. Um, So I I think all of those signs point to you should win this game. Obviously, you need to win this game. And we'll see how things play out. 4.05 coming up on Sunday. Again, for those that missed it late last night, it was very late. I mean, actually, technically earlier this morning. It was what, 3 a.m.? 3 a.m. Eastern, yeah, right? 3 a.m. Yeah. Eastern, I think. I mean, this is the second day in a row we've had a middle-of-the-night big story. Two nights ago, James Harden, and then the Raiders last night. Josh McDaniels fired Dave Ziegler, the GM of the Raiders, fired. Of course, this comes, what, I guess probably 24 hours after they had landed from their Monday night football loss uh, to the Lions. They did not make a trade deadline move. Certainly, uh, there are plenty of questions about the Raiders franchise in the Josh McDaniels era. 9-16 and 16 as a head coach. Uh, Jeff Saturday's lone win against <laughs> Josh McDaniels. Uh, Antonio Pierce will be the interim head coach for the rest of the year. For the second time in three years, the Colts will see the Raiders at the end of the year. It's the second to last game of the season with an interim head coach. It was Rich Bisaccia actually beating the Colts inside of, inside of Lucas Stadium. By the Stadium. way, did a good job last year. Got or, them in the playoffs He got them into ago. the postseason last year, which wasn't good enough, so he had to go get Josh McDaniels. Like, enough of him. Yeah, and you know what? I, I'm trying to, like, connect it here, and I've never been one that's labeled this, but I know there are some people out there that do. Should Chris Ballard be viewed? Should, should should it be a con on the Chris Ballard resume <laughs> that he wanted to and I guess did hire Josh McDaniels for a brief period? It's a good question. Ultimately, it didn't happen. I guess I would say, Frank Reich, how much better did he do that you thought Josh McDaniels would do? If Frank Reich were here still and they were having success, then it would be different. But Frank Reich fizzled out here and got fired in the middle of the season too. Well, he wasn't probably what would have happened. No, no, he was a respectable disaster. Josh McDaniels brings, I mean, to me, immediate losing. I I don't know if Josh McDaniels can coach anywhere else but next to next to Daddy Belichick. Can he? Can he coach anywhere else? I mean, he has not had success anywhere. You think of when, I mean, like, we forget he was, like, the associate head coach with the Rams when they had Steve Spagnola back when they were still in St. Louis, and that was a disaster. He was midseason, gone there. Obviously, his first stint was very young in Denver as a head coach, and he got fired, I think, very similar, kind of midway point of his second season there. Do you remember the best part of his Denver 
Is it something Tebow related? <laughs> Didn't he? Remember he beat New England and he he went down the whole length of the field doing the fist pump like Tom Brady? Actually, I do remember that, yeah. <laughs> and that's when they were good. Like They had a winning record. They ended up 8-8 eight eight that season, 3-9. and nine. He was fired in 2010 in Denver, 6-11 and 11 his first year in Vegas, and then 3-5. and five. And, like, I don't know, for me... I think you know what help gets a guy like that fired. Uh, yes, it's losing, but it's the other things. I mean, Devontae Adams probably is looking at this and saying, "I am going to cause an absolute stink." You think Jonathan Taylor, what he pulled, and his agent were bad? I'm a Hall of Fame player that's been playing for a decade in the NFL. And then on top of it, I know you're you're probably going to laugh at this. Both of you will laugh at this, okay? But you know what epitomizes the arrogance of 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 Josh McDaniel? Is it it's it's Hunter Renfro, right? Who's the Raiders slot receiver? That, that's his name, right? He, yeah, it's Clemson the same guy. Yeah, yeah, the Clemson guy. He's a fi- he's a fine player. He's got ten catches this year. The only reason I bring that up is, I mean, this is a guy that has had 50, 60. He had one hundred and three catches back in two thousand twenty one, uh, and for some reason, Josh McDaniels he gets Devontae Adams, and he has like a fine slot receiver in Hunter Renfro, and those guys are non existent in that offense. So, I, I mean, now automatically this morning, listening to ESPN Radio on the way in, it was you got to call hard. You got to call Harbaugh, and maybe that's the next step. Maybe that's who can save him. It would be perfect that a dysfunctional Raiders program would be the one to save a dysfunctional Jim Harbaugh from a pretty dysfunctional situation there in Michigan. You don't want to go Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams package deal? Uh, Doesn't that scream Raiders? I I, I mean, come on. You don't like Lincoln Riley, do you? You're off the Lincoln Riley train, aren't you? And I guess I am too. But it's the Raiders. (laughs) Harbaugh was kind of a rumor there a couple years ago. I think I'd rather be at USC. I don't know. Again, it is a banged-up Pacers lineup going into tonight. That is something we will hit on. Alex Golden going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock. Stephen Holder, our weekly 8 o'clock appearance every Wednesday with him. How active, how trying were the Colts at the trade deadline? We'll get Stephen's thoughts on that coming up. Here as well on the brink of clinching a World Series. That would be the Texas Rangers. They get another one done last night away from home. It has been historic for the Rangers here this postseason. Uh, So we'll touch on that. Again, good Wednesday morning to you. I would try and follow suit. I, I, you know, had Rosie when she went to bed. I'm like, you know what? The Reese's probably need to be in this pile, and we'll just put all the other candy in her pile there. And hopefully she won't remember that when she wakes up here on this Wednesday. Do do you check for razor blades? Do they still do do parents still do that? Because I'm a new parent, so I have no idea what I'm doing. Oh, that just means you're (laughs) taking the good candy. That's all that meant. I did not check for razor blades. And also, I, I, you know, I saw the tweets going around like, watch out for drugs and candy. I'm thinking, since when do drug dealers want to waste drugs on yeah. little kids? Yeah. That, that was that's always the, the thing. The thing. They're going to give you drugs like for free? I doubt I, it. I, I was going to say, I don't. <laughs> that's not how I think drug economics work. Yeah. Not that I know a ton about it, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me being I a naive parent. drug wars on my T99 back in high school, but I don't remember ever giving them away for free. That's not how that works. Yeah. I would like to, I would like, if that happened to someone, I would like to hear from them. They're like, yeah, someone dropped a joint into my kids, into my kids baggy. Also, you like, know, really? it doesn't make sense okay. giving drugs to kids because kids have no money. You got to give it to the parents, not the kids. Yeah, it's uh, always a bit mystifying to me. Very similar to the Jonathan <laughs> Taylor usage from this past weekend. I am Kevin Bowen. He's Andy Sweeney. Mark Dykton on the ones and twos. Thank you for tuning in. Happy November. It is the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy on 93.5 1075. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 
on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, your morning check down. Obviously, we talked a lot about Josh McDaniels and the GM there in uh, almost called him Oakland and Vegas. The Raiders getting the axe. We'll continue talking about that. Let's move to the NBA. Pacers, Celtics. Tonight, our coverage here on the fan beginning at 7 o'clock. Boston currently an 11.5 point favorite. That game an over under of 231.5. But to watch here on the Indiana side, the Pacers, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, Matherin may not be playing. Here's Rick Carlisle yesterday. Uh, we're a little banged up. You know, Ty's ankle's a little banged up. Um, he didn't practice. Uh, and Ben's uh, Ben's got an elbow issue, right elbow issue that he's dealing with. He's yeah, not that he's he's uh, he's seeing he's seeing the doc right now, so he did not practice either. So those guys will be likely listed as questionable at best. Uh, and we'll see where they are tomorrow. So questionable at best, you'd have to think both of those guys not going to be in the lineup tonight. Not ideal. Back-to-back coming up Friday and Saturday. Also, Jalen Smith on that injury injury report. You saw him go down there um, in late in that game uh, against Chicago. So if you're trying to play kind of okay rotation, starting lineup changes, I would guess Andrew Nemhard potentially in for Tyrese Halliburton. That would bump T.J. McConnell into definitely being in the rotation. If Matherin doesn't play, that's, I think, more of the question. Do you throw Aaron Neesmith in there? Right. Former team, more of a wing defender. That would be better suited against the Jason Tatums, Jalen Browns, etc. Or do you put Buddy Heald back into that you know, starting lineup role? Does that give minutes to Jordan Wara? Does Ben Shepard see some action? And then, obviously, with Jalen Smith... You know, Isaiah Jackson or Daniel Tice, a former Celtic, would probably get bumped up. So, a lot of questions. 12 hours ahead of tip-off. Again, 11.5-point underdogs tonight, the Pacers in Boston. All right, last night in the World Series, the run on the road for the Texas Rangers has been absolutely historic, and it continued last night. 10 of the 11 runs, all with two outs over the Diamondbacks. That is now 10 straight road victories here in the postseason. That is a Major League Baseball record for the Rangers. The 10 straight road wins for Texas is a franchise record, regardless, regular season or postseason. That lead is 3-1. Game 5, a potential clinch, would be on the road, is tonight with Nathan Avaldi on the mound. By the way, Nathan Avaldi 4-0 on the season. Or four and zero in the postseason. I mean, he could win MVP. Well, again, I mean, that's with Garcia out. That's with uh, Scherzer out, and they went out there. I guess Garcia gave him a big pep talk before the game. Do you see that? And is he out the rest of the way? He's out. They're off the World Series roster. Yeah. So he and Scherzer are done for the entire World Series. If it ends tonight, uh, or if it goes to Game Seven, I'll ask you guys. Uh, did you care, Mark, at all? I mean, Montez Sweat goes to the Chicago Bears. Chase Young gets traded uh, to the 49ers. So the Commander. Why? Washington told us how good their team was going to be in the offseason, then they moved their entire defensive line at the trade deadline. I do want to get into this on the other side. Montez Sweat, there's several Colts connections to that. Uh, I kind of want to explain a little bit more coming up here uh, around 730, uh, but certainly Washington, probably more so than any other team. They said, white flag, surrendering. I guess if you're Ron Rivera, you probably are thinking to yourself, wait, I'm safe, right? 
Uh, Ron, <laughs> Ron Rivera's done. I mean, the only question so to he's me, done? Uh, yeah, I think so. The only question to me is, do they get rid of everybody, or is this the chance that Eric Bieniemy gets to be a head coach? Whether that be in season or at the end of the season, uh, is that the case? I do not know. Now, the Cardinals did trade Dobbs to the Vikings. Uh, I, I'm not sure how much that one lands with me. Um, we shall see. I mean, Dobbs has shown he can learn in offense rather quickly, uh, but to me, that didn't do too much for me. And otherwise, kind of a quiet trade deadline. Uh, the Bills pick up a corner, what, Rasul Butler, I believe, from the Packers. Kind of a, a, a swap of picks there. And Jacksonville so, gets a little O-line help. Yeah, which Jacksonville gets a little bit. An issue that they have. Donovan Peoples-Jones, probably the other name to the Lions. I think locally, I would assume that benefits David Bell. Uh, who has been barely playing uh, three snaps against the Colts, three snaps against the Seahawks the last two weeks, just four catches in seven games. So hopefully for David Bell's sake, that's good news on that front. But again, more on the trade deadline coming up here after the break. <laughs> Lastly for the Colts, it's a walkthrough today. No practice for the Colts. Shane Sykin had said a couple weeks ago, with a little bit of a later bye week, he would make some schedule adjustments. And it looks like, I think they did this back probably a month ago, where they just had a Wednesday walkthrough. Uh, but Juju Brents, and again, Braden Smith, I would assume, Andy, and this is strictly just assumption based off Braden Smith not going to IR, he's missed three games. If you go on injured reserve, you've got to miss at least four. So just based off the math, I would assume he plays on Sunday. Uh, I have nothing else to go off of other than if he were to miss Sunday, why not put him on IR back you know, three or four weeks ago with that. And obviously the Juju Brent storyline is huge. Not really to do with Carolina's super deep at wide receiver, and you need to worry about that. More to do with you need him out there because you don't want to see Tony Brown or Daryl Baker Jr. out there again. And you also need him out there just for his own development. Like to me, they had this last year with Bernard Ryman. He kind of fits that category of late season. What are you rooting for? What are you watching? What are you cheering for? Well, here is a high draft pick at a premium position. That was Bernard Ryman last year. He showed a lot of growth late in the season. Can Juju Brents follow suit whenever he does get back? So that will be something to keep an eye on later today. All right, on the other side, NFL trade deadline, some Colts connections there. What do we think about the lack of activity for Chris Ballard? We will do that coming up next. Thank you for tuning in. It is the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You know, looking at stories for today, and by the way, we'll get into trade deadline stuff. The Colts obviously uh, did nothing. What does it mean? We'll dive into that here in just a second. But I, I'm sorry. I love this story now. This story went from kind of, you know, to me, small time to now I love it. The next edition of the Connor Stallions Michigan story hit yesterday. Did you happen to see this? That Central oh, yeah. Michigan now, uh, I guess went through photos and video of the game they had against Michigan State uh, and Connor Stallions they believe this uh, former Marine vet if you will, this officer in the uh, United States Marines was on 
their sideline, KB, in CMU gear, and there is a thinking that he had the Ray-Ban glasses on that took the photos and would do the streaming video. Have, have you followed this at all? Because it's now the epic. story, now now it's, at, yeah, that's the word. Now it's absolutely yeah, We need epic. a 30 for 30 on it. We needed it yesterday, <laughs> frankly. He's um, on the sideline of another team. He looks like Bobby Valentine when he got a totally, that one totally time. Totally does. He should have had the fake mustache. Here's my thing. Did CMU know? Like, Is this something like, okay, we think there was someone on the sideline? Or when all this happened, they're like, damn, we better go through footage. And then they saw it and they're like, oh my God, this guy was actually on our sideline. Well, to me, it's pretty simple if... They, if it was mistaken, like if there was actually someone that it was not him, wouldn't they have just already said it? I mean, somebody's got to know if, oh yeah, that's just Joe from the recruiting department or, you know, that's just, you know, Mark from graduate assistant or he's the son of a, a big booster. Sure, so he's allowed yeah. to be on the sidelines. He can do whatever. He can call a play in the third quarter during if he the wants. Game. Yeah, just an absolutely incredible story. Dude, I'm telling you, in college, following college games, I know you've been there as well. There's so many damn people on the sidelines of these college football games. The thought process of Connor Stallions being lost in the shuffle, especially at a place like Central Michigan, is not surprising. If you go to a Colts game, there is nobody on the sideline. Is this uh, a good thing for Purdue as a 32-and-a-half-point underdog Saturday <laughs> night, or does that not matter one, uh, one bit? I don't, th- I don't think it matters at all. I did love last night, you know, they put out the rankings, the first rankings for the college football playoff, and Michigan came in at number three, and they were— Ohio State at one? Yeah, how about that? Well, that's what happens when you go to South Bend and get a decisive well, victory over Notre Dame. I guess I'm a little confused then. Why is Notre Dame all the way at 15? Because <laughs> they lost to Louisville. <laughs> right, but it's like it just doesn't like fully add up. Right, like they, you think they should be like 12 or well, like 11 if, or something. Again, if you're going to reward Ohio State for being one and Notre Dame lost to him by an inch, I, again, I, I, I sound like a very pathetic Notre Dame yeah, fan with even yeah. bringing that yeah, up. Yeah, you but, do. Uh, yeah, Ohio State at one. Uh, what do you have? Georgia, Georgia two. Michigan, Florida State. And then Washington, yeah, Oregon. Yeah, then uh, your boy Penix, Washington at five, Oregon six, Texas seven, Bama eight, Oklahoma nine, Ole Miss ten. Uh, Montez Sweat to the Bears. That of all the trades yesterday probably stood out to me. I know Chase Young probably has more name recognition, him to the 49ers. It kind of jumps out at you know the reunion with Nick Bosa, former number two overall pick, et cetera, et cetera. But Montez Sweat, for those unfamiliar, uh, the 26th overall pick back in the 2019 draft, uh, technically, the 26th overall pick that year was the Colts. Uh, they traded that selection to Washington. For those that don't recall, back uh, around that draft, Montez Sweat had a heart condition coming out of Mississippi State, and so there was a lot of debate about exactly where teams had him. On their respective boards, would he be medically red flagged by some teams who would take a chance on him, et cetera, et cetera. The Colts did have him medically red flagged, and it, it was clearly a debate. Um, he has played with Washington, and honestly, outside of missing a handful of games in his third NFL season, he's been incredibly durable and incredibly available throughout his career, for the most part, he's been kind of like an eight to nine sack guy. This year, he's having a great season. Six and a half sacks already uh, for Washington. He is in a contract year, so I assume the Bears have something written. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe written on, a, on napkin. a napkin that they slid to their. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. We're oh, gonna yeah, they're going to sign him. Yeah, they're going to sign him. You know, giving up a. Um, a second rounder, right, Mark? Probably like the 35th overall pick. Yeah, so a, a significant trade here. But 
when I saw that name, it was just a reminder. And honestly, Quiddy Pay's quietness over the last three to four weeks probably contributes to it. But Andy, for really ever since the retirement of Robert Mathis, the Colts have been searching. Searching for the edge pass rusher. And, you know, Montez Sweat has not been a pro bowler, but he is he easily would have given this franchise a little bit more consistency off the edge than they've had over the last handful of years. And, you know, fittingly, he goes to Matt Eberflus, who was obviously here in Indianapolis in 2019. Uh, clearly, he was a fan of Montez Sweat. Again, the Colts medically red flagged him with that heart condition. But I've always thought about Sweat and thought, you know, what what kind of could have been? Would you have had more stability at that spot? Uh, would you have closed out maybe some of these games? Um, he is probably the one, given that, again, you traded back that pick. Uh, you ended up getting, I think it was Ben Banigou and then a future second rounder that became Michael Pittman. So, you know, it's not like the trade was an absolutely awful one by any means for the Colts. Uh, but that is a position that, as I look ahead to the future of this franchise, I continue to think, where is the dominant edge rusher? Because uh, I don't think anyone can sit here on November 1st and and think that Cody Pay has proven to be that so far in his career. Well, do you like... I, I guess there's two ways you can do this. You can go get a guy... I mean, I guess there's three. You can go get a guy that's a rental that you know is going to be on your team for a few months, right? For half of the NFL season. And then there's the... I mean, I guess the... Uh, it was what the Colts did last year by picking up Zach Moss uh, in the Heinz trade, and that is you get a guy who's a little bit, who's kind of in the middle, right, KB? Who's a little bit more than a rental, who's got some time left on his deal, whether it be a year or two, and so you know you're going to have him for the rest of last year, like the Colts had Moss, and then you know you're going to have him this year, and so, you know, there's a little bit more value, and then there's the all-in that Mark's Bears did, and that is we're going to move uh, we have the picks, and we are going to use uh, a valuable, valuable pick, a very high second rounder, almost a pseudo first rounder, if you will, and we're going to go get a guy like this because A, we have the money, B, it's a position of need, and C, whoever we would get at the early second round, and, and this is one reason why I kind of like it is if you like this guy, who cares if you're giving up a second round pick? Who are you going to get in the second round that's going to be as productive as Montez Sweat has been? Is he a superstar player? Is he a Von Miller in his prime or something like that? No, he's not. But if he's a solid guy that's going to play 15 to 17 games and is going to get you, you know, 8 to 10 sacks and he's going to get you a couple forced fumbles and he's going to be there and he's going to be available and you're a bad team, like I am very, and I don't know how you feel on this. Picks can make fans feel warm and fuzzy. They they can. And so I never know when a team loads up on picks. Like, my team's getting ready to load up on picks. It's like, I guess that makes me feel better about myself, but it's such a crapshoot if that player is going to be good, if he's going to be healthy, if he's going to hit the way that you hope he does. Uh, if I'm a Bears fan, I'm happy about this. I know Montez Sweat is an above-average player, and I, I give up a second rounder. Like, I get it, but uh, to me, I like... I, I like I like what they did here. I just I I, I understand picks 
Like, they make fans feel better about the future. Oh, we have two second rounders. And that is fine. And those guys can hit. But a lot of teams, a lot of times, these bad organizations are stockpiling picks and they're bad organizations because they're whiffing on a lot of these players. The Bears said, we're going to take, take away the whiff factor. We're going to get a guy that can go get me nine sacks every season. Yeah, I, you can look at it, obviously, a couple of ways. There's no wrong way to look um, at it. You know, I. I don't think picks are just picks that turn into players, of course. You can package those picks together and potentially move up and get even a higher quality player. Um, and I think that's something that, at least from a Colts perspective, I've brought up here in recent weeks of you know when, and in my opinion, you need to do this at some point here in the next you know year to two years, when you go make that big splash for a wideout, in all likelihood, you know the vast majority of that trade package is going to come through draft picks, and, and that's why I look at the Colts yesterday and thought, you know, it seemed like a lot of people were like, "Man, uh, you know, why didn't they go after Chase Young?" Or, you know, why didn't they do something more in a buyer mode? And, and I, I guess I'm a little confused when, at the start of the year, I would think virtually 90% of the fan base would have agreed with the, if you just ask people, yes or no answer, what is this season about wins and losses? I would guess the vast majority of people would have said, no, it is not about wins and losses, which, again, is not something you want to admit, but I think it's a reality when you draft a guy like Anthony Richardson and Stefan Gilmore is a guy that's like, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. And so you are not making win-now moves in the offseason. So to me, if that answer is no, and you sit here at week eight and you're 3-5 and five, and you've lost three straight and you're 13th out of 16 teams in the AFC, if you would have done anything yesterday... To me, it's more of a piece for the future, not a piece to all of a sudden win now. And I look at now next year's draft, the Colts don't have the normal kind of, and I'll steal a word that Kevin Pritchard uses a lot, they don't have the optionality that they typically have had with Ballard. Again, no moves yesterday, so they have their seven draft picks, their own seven. They're not scheduled to get any compensatory pick. And that's where I look at and think to myself, that is the one avenue I would have tried to explore yesterday of a guy that, again, is not part of your 2024 plans or beyond. And we'll go over some of these free agents. Um, If you could have gotten a middle-ish round pick, and I know that might not resonate here on November 1st, but all of a sudden, Andy, if you get to the draft and the board starts to fall in a certain way and you're sitting there at whatever, number 36 and you don't pick till 43 and you're like wait that dude is still there Mm -hmm. we have an extra third rounder we have him you know pegged as the 16th overall player in this draft now you have an additional pick to try and move up and again in Ballard's tenure he's had flexibility with picks he's had optionality to use that Kevin Pritchard word right now the Colts do not have that heading into the draft again the notable free agent names for the Colts in 2024 Uh, Of note, Michael Pittman Jr., Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman, Zach Moss, Gardner Minshew, and let's toss in the punter, Rigoberto (laughs) Sanchez. Well, they would have traded him. It's the only thing they would have done. They trade the punter away for a seventh rounder. At the start of the year, but (laughs) but trade the punter. I would say of the seven Chris Ballard off-seasons, that free agent group that I just named, Pittman, Stewart, Moore, Blackman, Moss particularly, that's probably the most notable free agent group they've had. Now the question becomes, can you retain all of them? 
Do you want to retain well, all of them? Do you want to retain all of them? And yeah, the answer what, is no. And what does their that market look like? Well, well, that that question right there. If the answer is no, then again, in my opinion, you should have been very well, active in whoever that answer is no on. You should have been very active in trying to move them. Well, yesterday. that w- that's what I was going to ask you. Is there? And, and here's the problem that I have. If it came out that somebody was going to offer, let's say Baltimore, I'm just using this as a what if. If Baltimore said, hey, we love Zach Moss for a fourth rounder, okay, and then Baltimore is going to be a good team. Hell, they could go and make a run at the Super Bowl, so it's going to be a back-end fourth rounder. I don't know, maybe they have another pick there, Uh, but you know what I mean. If it's something like a mid-round pick like that, if I knew that to be the case then I feel like we could come in here and we could beat up Ballard a little bit over this. It is a reality, KB, whether it be Pittman, Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, Blackman, obviously Moss is not going to be here next year. They're not going to resign a number of these guys, right? I guess I'm going by Ballard's own words, although he did sign Jonathan Taylor. Why would you bring back all of these guys if you're a four-win team last year and you're a six-win team this year? Fair. I mean, that, I mean that 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 yeah, would fair. that would be my argument. Yeah. That would be my argument, and then it goes to what you have said. Okay, if you're not going to bring back Kenny Moore, then go. You know, then then Buffalo needed defensive back help. Right? Is there a move that could have been made for somebody like him uh, in Buffalo? And the problem is, it's much like the Jonathan Taylor situation at the you know in the off season and at the beginning of the season. We don't know the facts here. We don't know how hard Chris Ballard tried to shop guys. And on top of it, I think this is the case for Pittman. It's maybe the reason they didn't trade Jonathan Taylor. I don't think they know. I'm not sure they know, and then they don't know what what they're going to do. Do do you think they know right now what they're going to do with Michael Pittman? I mean, they can't give him thirty million dollars a year. I mean, they want to keep him. You could slap the franchise tag on him. Well, yeah. I mean, they've used that so very often. I mean, that's been and that was Ballard used it one time. Uh, is it one time? Not, or, so uh, he hasn't used yeah, it. Colts haven't used it very much at all. Right, McAfee in uh, twenty thirteen. Yeah, I would game. use it. I mean, I would use it on Michael Pittman. I don't know. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If they came in here today. And like th- this is a situation where if they would have moved a couple of these guys, you could say they're waving the white flag. Sure, that's fine. And, and I could have yelled and screamed about that, and that could have been the case. I-, I think picks would have actually energized the fan base. Is it- this is- this would have been a an example that I gave a couple minutes ago. The Bears said, to hell with the picks. We're going to go get solid NFL players so we don't have to worry about drafting a guy from LSU or Ole Miss in the second round. We're going to get a guy who's a really good player now. We'll pay him the money and that's how, that's one way, one piece of rebuilding this franchise, how it's going to look. I think the Colts could have could have got picks yesterday. I say that without knowing the conversations that Ballard had. The flip side of that is, if you move a guy like Blackman and or Kenny Moore, I mean, they don't have anyone to play. That's the other side of it. Who's going to play? I mean, we've looked at the last two weeks, especially the last three weeks, a lot of the guys they have that are on the edge, like Tony Browns, they can't play. They just can't yeah, play you know, 85 Blackman, snaps. Yeah, Blackman obviously would be a... A Nick Cross thing. So again, to me, giving the young guy a chance would be intriguing for the kind of for the final couple months of the year. Um, And and, you know, to me, I've always—I mean, my hand is raised. I've always been more of a: How do you create a five to seven year window? Like that—that is my big thing. How do you create that? And yes, within that window, Andy, 
you're going to be San Francisco. You're going to sit there and say, guys, we just got a third-round pick because our assistant GM took the job in Tennessee. He's a minority. We get a comp pick for that. Let's go get a Chase Young. Right. You know, let's go make that sort Mike McGlinchey signs in. Where'd he sign? Is it Denver? You know, th- we have an extra comp pick for that. Let's go make a move of more of a win now. You see Seattle with with what Leonard Williams did uh in, in getting him from from the Giants. You know, Buffalo did that yesterday in acquiring uh Rasul Douglas. So I mean those sorts of moves at some point, you will be there as a franchise. I don't. Th- I mean, the Colts are not there. So, in my opinion, it gets to the. Let's use Josh Downs as an example from last year's draft. The Colts sweated that pick out like no other, waiting and waiting and waiting. And Chris Bauer would be the first to tell you, you know, we were fortunate he lasted mm-hmm. all the way until our third round pick. Well, if you get in that sort of position in next year's draft. And you have that additional kind of middle-ish round pick. You know, they traded up three spots to get Jonathan Taylor. They gave up a fifth rounder. You think that was worth yeah, it? Which is nothing. No. So you're right. That's you're right. I, I, what I want is optionality and flexibility. That's what I want. I want to be able to. You don't know how the draft board's going to fall. And obviously, you're not always going to hit on it, Andy. When you trade up, it's not always going to be right a win. But I want to sit there in a position, and if something like that happens. I don't want one hand tied behind my back and saying, nope, I can't do that. You know, we, we just, we don't have enough ammo. Yeah, well, Howie Roseman of the Eagles, he does this. You would love him. You'd be the perfect Eagles fan. He's always got a war chest, if you will. Uh, because, Cook- again, this is about, as you get deeper into Richardson's rookie deal, what do those pieces look like around him? I'll go back to what, because we really haven't talked about Anthony Richardson in quite some time. I'll go back to the Richardson conversation from a couple weeks ago. What are my big takeaways maybe after this Richardson rookie season? I think you can get the earlier return on him than I thought. Like, I think 2024 can be a little bit more of something than I maybe thought. But the career window, I think you'd be naive not to have a little bit of a question about how long can he give you that? What does the style look like as he gets into whatever, even mid to late 20s there? So, uh, And I would say lastly, on the trade deadline, it, it just is a little bit humbling that I would say for the second straight year, you sit here and you don't even view the Colts in a light of making the win-now move. And when you're year six for Ballard last year, now year seven, that's an indictment of where of where, what your era was, or, or I should say is, it's still in the present tense, but it's an indictment of the Chris Ballard era that in year six and now year seven, as a GM, we're talking rebuild. We're talking the season's not about wins and losses. We're sitting here saying, no, 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 the Colts aren't in a position to give up a second-round pick for Chase Young or Montez Sweat or whoever you want to throw into that group. It's more of a, yeah, this season was never really about what you were going to do from a win-loss standpoint. So I get why they didn't do anything. It's just humbling, and it's a bit of indictment, certainly, on his yeah, regime. I don't, I don't disagree with you. I view the Colts as they're in the middle it's not okay, so they're not doing the win now stuff that you're talking about, but they're also not doing the rebuild stuff that you're talking about because they're not gathering picks the way teams that are rebuilding and retooling gather picks. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to you? Like they're not they're not going out and getting Montez Sweat and or a Chase Young and saying we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put draft capital into this guy, we're gonna sign this guy, and our defensive line now is gonna take a step forward. And if we have to give up a two, we have to give up a three, something like 
that it is worth it to say on draft day, it was in April, on draft day, that we went out, and yes, we don't have a second-round pick, but we have a defensive lineman who is well above average, who is locked in for four or five seasons, who can go get me eight to ten sacks a year. They're not doing that, but they're also not doing what you're asking as well, well KB. They're not trading away you know, Kenny Moore and getting an extra third from the Buffalo Bills. They're just, like, I, I view them as... They're, they're just staying put, which the majority of teams do at the trade deadline. And I just don't know if that's – I don't know. People want action. I feel like the Colts are giving you a lot of inaction right now. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't like sitting on your hands. Uh, it, it, in my opinion, you have to decide. And I know it's not black and white to the degree that I'm making it. Like, either you buy or you sell. Now, right. there's some gray area, obviously, in that. I mean, technically, if you want to talk about it, didn't the Colts kind of sell Naheem Hines last year? But then didn't they also buy? Because they got Zach Moss with two years left on a deal. And then, you know, in a way, the future pick uh, of a, a fifth rounder they got from Buffalo turned into Will, Will Mallory. But I want to go back to something you said, whatever, five or ten minutes ago, Andy. You're not going to re-sign all these guys. No, you're not. It's okay. obvious. Yeah. So if you're not going to re-sign them, find the guy that right here on go back yesterday, October 31st, that you're not going to re-sign and make endless calls to get rid of him. That's how I view it. Because if you're not going to get return on him come January 10th, whenever the season ends, can I get return on him right now? That would have been the question that I have. Again, I don't know. I I know it wouldn't have been substantial uh, in return, um, but that's where I choose to kind of live of if you have guys that are not part of your future plans, can you cast them off and get anything now in return? That's why I asked on Twitter. I said, what's the bigger annual disappointment, Colts fans, the free agency (laughs) or NFL trade deadline? And I think that's a great point to bring up, Marcus. When you have a general manager that is reluctant in mid-March to find the top tier free agents, I view yesterday as a time to try and explore another avenue of building. Uh, because, again, Ballard is so draft-centric, which I agree with largely. And that's probably your answer, you by the way. But you can sprinkle in right. some stuff in mid-March, which he really hasn't done. Yeah. And then that's why I, I look at the trade deadline and think, okay, can you do something here? And I look at Chicago and think to myself, they are not in a win-now mode, but assuming they re-sign Sweat, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. They did the big trade with Carolina. They have additional draft picks. They view it and say, all right, pass rushers are hard to find. Let's make sure that we still have enough draft picks, which they have two first-rounders likely going to be in the top five. They can wheel and deal and create more draft picks there. They give up a second, and they hopefully, in their sake, will cross off a glaring need. Yeah, major need for those. We can talk about this in the 8 o'clock hour, so you guys can think about it. Who do you think think Chris Ballard should have picked up the phone and tried to trade the most yesterday out of all the guys? Just worth some someone. I mean, to me, I would almost go to Grover Stewart, but he's suspended, which makes that in you know a, a difficult yeah, I, situation. You, you know, know, he's going to miss four nice you know, four Blackman games. Blackman and Moore are the two that come back to now. Granted, to your point, Andy, you'd be at a big loss, and, and that I like the approach of drafting as many corners as they did last April. And, and I believe I said this after the draft, so I don't think it's all of a sudden me like hindsight twenty twenty nitpicking it. I didn't love that all three of them are outside corners. If I'm going to get specific with their skill sets, I would have liked to have seen one of the three be a nickel corner. That's and then fair. That is grooming the Kenny Moore replacement. Like I'm a big pass the torch guy. You know, can you seamlessly go from Anthony Casanzo to the next tackle? 
can you go from Robert Mathis to the next pass rusher? So much easier said mm-hmm. than done. Obviously, if you look at tackle, it did not work out. If you look at pass rusher, you know whether it was Mathis to Jerry Hughes or Mathis to Bjorn Werner, it did not work out. So I'm a big kind of pass the torch guy, but um, I guess this is where we're at right now. Again, seven picks coming up in uh, in April, and then those free agent names. As we is it crazy about. to say Sheck Leonard maybe if anyone no would have taken, taken on that, that contract, contract I know I don't think they would but I'm like what are you getting I mean like Pittman's things? I know we gotta take a break Pittman Kenny Moore Blackman Zach Moss I mean all those guys are prime of their career yeah, guys I mean, Moss, all of those guys you know, are Moss would have been a guy that I would look at Moss is moving. the guy probably that I'm like you know what I tell you I know nationally I just I, it's it, not because it's my team it's ridiculous the Giants not moving Saquon Barkley I mean he is squarely a guy that you could get some Something for your season means nothing, and you cannot bring him back next season anyway. We'll continue this conversation with Stephen Holder next. Yeah, yeah, eight o'clock. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Clock hour hanging on the drive, Hubler.com studios. Reminder, tons going on tonight. Seven o'clock hour coverage, Pacers and Celtics right here on the fan. We played that Rick Carlisle sound earlier. It looks like uh, what Matherin and Halliburton are going to be very questionable going into uh, tonight's game. Jalen Brown may not play for Boston, so we'll see. It's kind of the walking wounded just game four uh, of the season. A lot of Colts conversation, trade deadline, what they did not do and what it means. We'll continue that conversation right Right now with Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. Stephen, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys this morning? Oh, we're doing fantastic. Uh, KB and Mark, they're all thawed out from uh, trick-or-treating last night in the snow and 25-degree <laughs> weather. How was the crowd for you, Stephen? Lighter? Uh, yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Um, and understandably, I'm just glad that I don't have to do it anymore because, you know, they, mine's old enough to do it on their own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I was thinking myself, here we are building toughness, and I'm like, Kevin, just shut up and get the kids yeah. inside. Building, what, what, are you, what are you, a football? What are you, an, off, are you an offensive like, line coach I, I all thought, of a sudden? I thought I was Dan Campbell for a second there. Uh, Steven, right. how active, if any, do you think the Colts were either, you know, again, buy and sell is so black and white. There's a lot of gray area yeah. when it comes to trade deadline, but uh, w- what do you think the phone lines were like for the Colts yesterday? So, number one, I mean, you always take calls. You know, you never say no to taking a call because that's that's like the bare minimum. It, it costs you nothing to talk. But that being said, uh, my understanding is there wasn't a lot of conversation, to be honest. And I, I, I guess a couple of things have to happen. If you're not actively going out there and either shopping or, or looking to acquire a, a player, um, then you're kind of in a, a sit back and, and wait mode and you see what comes to you. So I think that's where they were. And from what I understand, there, there really wasn't anything substantive that came their way. So I'm not surprised by that. I, I don't think the Colts are, they don't strike me as a team that's a buyer or a seller. You know, they're kind <laughs> of like, 
let's just see where we let's just see where this goes and, and then we'll circle back next year. I mean it kind of feels that way, honestly. Well that's what we talked about last segment, and that's basically what I said. It's like, okay, they didn't want to yeah. they didn't want to move a guy who's kind of in their prime. Uh, they also didn't want to go get a guy like Montez Sweaty, but they also didn't grow the war chest of picks either. I don't know. Is there criticism yeah. for Ballard? Is there is there criticism there that there weren't a lot of conversations when there's probably, you know, five or six guys pseudo in their prime? that you know seven, you know probably half those guys not going to be back on the roster next season well I, I think they're still evaluating who is and isn't going to be back is the problem you know I don't think it's that cut and dried yet I mean I, I don't disagree that not everyone will come back that's true most likely because that's just that's just how the business works but but who you know and and what are the economics of which player and and all of that and I don't know if we know those answers yet so it was kind of a delicate situation, I feel like, you know, and and then, you know, the the other thing is there has to be a market for those players, whoever they are. And the truth is we don't see that many deals at the deadline. Now that it has picked up, I will say last year in particular, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. I, I saw them earlier and there has been an uptick last year and this year, but, but generally, okay, just generally speaking, we haven't seen this much movement in, you know, in a typical year. So, you know, that's just the other thing is that there have to be motivated parties on both sides. And I don't think there was a ton of motivation on the cold side. And then, you know, it would appear there wasn't a lot of motivation on the other side, you know, for, for whoever they might have considered moving. Again, Stephen Holder's with us here, ESPN.com. Um, Stephen, shifting gears from the trade front. I went back and and watched that first quarter yesterday of Jonathan Taylor, and I I believe I added up the plays. uh, 11 yards per play when Taylor touched the ball, 4 yards per play when anyone else not named Taylor touched the ball. As we are 48, 72 hours away from it, uh, has anything made more sense to you on why they went away from either the run game and or Jonathan Taylor specifically? No. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I mean, look, I'm not I'm not going to like protest about it or anything. You know, I'm not going to, you know, hold up a, a picket sign in front of the facility about it, but I don't understand it. Uh, I, I don't get it. I, I think that it's not, you know, two things. Number one, they didn't run the ball generally after halftime. I think it was six carries total. Um, so that I have a, a beef with in itself. And then when you did run it, you ran it with Zach Moss. And look, this is not a slight to Zach Moss. The numbers are the numbers. Like he has, he has had a very productive season. But you know, the, for a coach who has told us repeatedly all about going with the hot hand, he didn't do that. Like that's just unequivocally true. He did not do that. You cannot say that that was the case. So. I just find it to be a little bit of a, a contradiction, and and forget about it being a contradiction. That's this is not about a gotcha. It is about trying to win. And look, the fact is, you talked about. I think you might have asked this question, or someone asked it uh, about the balance with Gardner Minshew. Is okay. He's been really aggressive the last few weeks, and then on Sunday he was much less aggressive. So he didn't have as many turnovers. But you know what else he didn't have? A lot of production. So my point to you is uh, you you kind of went to the past just as much and but got less out of it. So I don't know. I, I just I don't understand the rationale, and it's not what I would have done. Um, 
you know, it's not a fireable offense or anything, but I just I don't follow the logic. Yeah, I think I looked it up yesterday or uh, Sunday was the second best first quarter of Jonathan Taylor's career. And, and so, like, if you wow. want to play the hot hand, and that and, and to be <laughs> doesn't fair, get hotter than that. Shane said on Monday, you know, hot hand. What, what was a phrase that he, yeah. you know, ushered? I, I again, I know it's Wednesday and it's time to move on. We have another chance to talk to you since Sunday, but you know, usually, or, or I, I shouldn't say usually, but sometimes you you get to Monday, you get to Tuesday, and you get out of kind of the raw emotion after a game, and you think to yourself, okay, yeah. that makes a little bit more sense. Oh, oh, I didn't see it from this point of view, and the further I get away from it. Honestly, it's even more mystifying to me, to be totally honest. Yeah, and and look, I like Shane, okay? I do. I think that he Same. is the right guy. He's the right guy. And and he definitely uh, has a head on his shoulders. However, uh, his his answers are very unsatisfying sometimes. And I, he doesn't owe me an explanation for anything, it's, you know, technically. I, I understand that. He doesn't owe any of us an explanation. His job is to win. However, however... It, when you do that, you're going to be questioned. That's just how it is. If you don't give satisfying answers, you're going to, you know, leave those questions open to interpretation. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what we get paid to do. It is what it is. Um, so, look, I mean, he can, he could kind of give a little more insight if he wanted to, uh, but he just chooses not to. I, I would say, look, I mean, I, I think we're all open-minded. Like you, you know, when when you take take a step back and you listen to all the arguments, we're very open-minded about it. I'm. I mean, I, I love learning more about why they did what they did. Look, go back to the uh, the Jacksonville game, and you might recall in that game it was a very uh, pass-heavy game, and they had you know Gardner Minshew had had quite a few turnovers in that game. Now there was a lot of conversation in the wake of that, and you know, why didn't they run the ball more? Well, the truth is. When they did run it, they didn't get production, and you had you had Jacksonville really stacking the the, the front and not allowing them to run. So there were very practical reasons for why they did what they did in that game, you know. And so I, I can accept that all day long. Of course, I didn't get that explanation from <laughs> from Shane. I got that from Ryan Kelly and from other players. <laughs> but nevertheless, I get it. This case, in this case. I don't think I have such an explanation, so I have less understanding of why they did what they did. Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com following the Colts. He's on the Pay Less Liquors hotline on the fan on this Wednesday. Uh, Last one before we go forward. Any theory on what happened with Tony Brown not practicing on Friday, getting the start, uh, getting cooked, not being pulled, but also not being in a good position by the coaching staff, not getting help either. What do you think happened with all of that on Sunday? You know, I, I really think it was a situation where they had bad options and <laughs> they they tried to, to find the least disruptive option. And what I mean by that is one where they didn't have to impact multiple positions. So, you know, if you, <laughs> excuse me, if you move uh, Julian Blackman, okay, just for argument's sake, if you move Julian Blackman to the slot and then you take – Kenny Moore and you move him outside now you have impacted multiple positions and and there may not be a comfort level uh from those players at their new positions it has nothing to do with 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 Kenny Moore or Julian Blackman being good players that's not the question the question is will they be as effective in a role they're not as familiar with they don't practice at that position right so so that's a fair question and I and I understand when when teams 
factor that in. So, so my interpretation is they looked at it, or what I suspect is that they looked at it and they said, look, let's just, let's just do it in, in, a, in the least disruptive manner and just, you know, make that one change and play Tony Brown. Um, the other mitigating circumstance I would mention is that on, on, on the touchdown, the long touchdown play, uh, Gus Bradley did confirm this, and I think it was it started to be clear the more I looked at it. Uh, that was a coverage bust and not necessarily Tony Brown's fault. Now, he took a lot of abuse on, on Sunday, and I'm also not defending him because he, he didn't have a good game. But, but I do think it's, it's important to mention that uh, he was supposed to have safety help, and, and actually um, that, that wasn't there. So that, that wasn't on him. And he looked a little timid initially coming uh, at, right after the snap to the point where I, I wondered if, if something was up there, and it turns out that it was. Is the defense right now the most disappointing part of this team, especially the last three games? Should we be talking about that more maybe than some of the other stuff? Uh, They've given up too much yardage. There's no doubt about that. Um, I I think it's a couple of things. Number one, they've had some some personnel issues. We just talked about cornerback. We know what's going on there. Uh, Grover Stewart is a big loss. You know, you've seen a couple of runs pop the last couple weeks where you would not likely be seeing as much of that with uh, Grover Stewart in the lineup. Uh, I think they've got, what, maybe four more games, I think, before his suspension yeah, ends? it's four, yeah. They have four more. Yeah, so so that hurts, you know? You're talking about, I mean, I know he's not a guy who's an all-pro level player, but his impact for them is pretty significant, whether whether people nationally know that or not. So anyway, that's the, so personnel issues have been a little bit of a problem. Uh, I, I think that the pass rush has been a little intermittent, and I like I like some of the talent on the edge, like guys like like Quiddy Pay has flashed, uh, Dio Adengbo has continuously flashed this year. Uh, I think what you don't have is is a real dominant player on the edge, and and that can hurt you. It's tough to overcome that, you know, when a quarterback gets hot. You know, so you had some some instances, for example, on on Sunday where Derek Carr got the right coverage at the right time and and they didn't get pressure and so he had a lot of time to make plays in that pocket and so you know he's gonna hurt you you know say what you want about Derek Carr you give him that kind of opportunity Derek Carr's gonna hurt you and they learned that lesson the hard way so I don't think there's like one thing on defense I can point to I just think it's a it's kind of a collection of issues that have kind of come back to bite them and they, they got to do better that's the bottom line I mean I think right now what what's happened is there's there's been too much put on the offense because of maybe some of the shortcomings on defense. I'm not overlooking the turnovers in recent weeks because that has disadvantaged defense. Okay, there's no doubt about that. Some short fields, all that. Um, but it all it does work hand in hand. They're not playing complimentary football, all that. But but the defense is where a lot of the talent is, frankly, and and more there's more depth on defense. I think so. They got to step up. Stephen Holder again is with us here from ESPN. Stephen, I guess if you look at it either this week or next week would be viewed as the technical midway point of the season. I posted something on our website about midseason awards to hand out. Uh, let's start with the good. Your team MVP would be who at this point of the season? Huh. That's tough. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe this is obvious, but I kind of feel like Zach Moss. You know, like that's going to change. I think it's very clear that Jonathan Taylor, at least 
I think, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor is going to rise to the top there, at least just based on what I see. He looks like their, their best offensive player right now. But, um, but we're talking about up to this point, right? And, and if you look at it from that perspective, uh, they don't win in Baltimore. They don't win, you know, I think a handful of other games. Oh, they've only won three. But, I mean, they're not even competitive to, to some extent if Zach Moss is not just pulling first downs out of his rear end, like out of thin air, you know, and, and just kind of willing himself to first downs, c- critical first downs. So uh, he's been a revelation. You know, he's not going to be – you know, a guy who gets some kind of, you know, record-breaking contract in free agency. Don't get it mistaken. But for what he is, uh, he is much more than we gave him credit for. So I, I would say Zach Moss to this point. Yeah, I went Zaire. Um, I, I, I could definitely, I you know, listen to the Zach Moss debate. I, you know, I, I don't need to, like, explain the awards. I thought Michael Pittman Jr. or Zach Moss for Offensive Player of the Year, if you're going to kind of yeah. slot in an award there. I do want to flip over to the other side. And I don't know, maybe you and I disagree on this a little bit, and maybe I'm being a little bit too recency biased with this answer. But I think from an individual disappointment, I also gave out kind of a most disappointment award. I would say the lack of a pass rush from Quiddy Pay. And again, it is yeah. over the last three to four games. He had some moments early on, uh, but I was looking up some numbers, Stephen, on him. I think he's 64th in sacks, like 120-something in quarterback hits. And again, in particular, it's, the, it's this last month where your edge group, you know, two weeks ago, you're facing a rookie right tackle on Dewan Jones. And while Blake Freeland's having some inconsistencies, you couldn't expose, and credit to the Ben Davis kid for stepping up, but you you, right. you, you couldn't expose a, a, a rookie right tackle in that instance. So, you know, it's probably a little bit of, uh, it's a big year for him. That matters a little bit more. But I would yep. say individual disappointment over the last month or so. Uh, I, I'm putting Quiddy Pay pretty high on that list. Look, I mean, the expectations are what they are. And, and I don't think it would be fair to pretend like like there shouldn't be expectations for him. I mean, I like Quiddy Pay generally uh, as a player. And I, I think what I said earlier, though, is, is the problem. It's that there are flashes. And it's not a continuous uh, level of production. And, and that's just that's not good enough. I mean... You know, he is a first-round pick, and I think we have to judge him accordingly. And the the production they're getting from him, look, I get it. Not every first-round edge player is going to be Nick Bosa. I, I understand that. But but you gotta you got to be a guy who at times is is able to get home and when your team really needs. I, I think if, here's the problem is that I, I think that we have kind of miscast, um, not the Colts, but maybe – us as as, observe, as observers, we we maybe look at him in the wrong fashion. And what I mean by that is, he's not your, you know, your 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 premier edge rusher. He's not. I mean, they they don't play him in that fashion. And so, I think there's they actually recognize what he is. And so what they do is they they play him as a strong side defensive end. Yeah, he's like a Jabal Sheer, like a good run defender. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. Like that's that's an important role. You got to set that edge, and and he definitely plays a role in and stopping the run, which they have generally been good at. You know, with some exceptions lately. But but I think that, so. That needs to be clear. Like you have to see him for what he is. But the problem is they need more than that out of him. I don't I don't know that he can do that. I don't know that he can be more than that because that's what he is. 
so I don't, there's a little bit of a disconnect. I don't know whose fault it is, but but again, he is a first round pick. So if if you if what you wanted was a an edge setter with that first round pick, well then you got that, and he's good at that. But is that enough? I think that's a fair like criticism. Last one, Stephen. Appreciate the time as always. Um, judging Nick Sirianni's post game reaction last year, Eagles over Colts. <laughs> where do you think Frank Reich is mentally this week? Like, I mean, is he is he burning midnight oil? Is, is this one he circled on the calendar a little bit more? How do you think Frank views Sunday? Uh, I I will say I I really think that Frank is is just hunkered down this week, and you know I, I've reached out to Frank. Reich uh, a couple of times in the last uh, month or so, and let me just say this: I have not heard back, and and I don't take that like as an insult. What I what I say, or what I got I crickets that, as well, trying to get him on the show for this week. <laughs> yeah, and what I take from that is that you know he is like all business right now, all business. You know, because this is a guy who is very engaging and always kind of you know, is, is willing to, you know, to take time to catch up. And that has not been the case. And not just this week. I mean, even prior to this week. So I think that Frank Reich, just given the pressure that they've been under, which has been tremendous, I'm sure. And you know about him giving up the play calling duties. Uh, I think that he is just, just dug in and he's all business right now. Um, you know, is it going to mean more? Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it will. Um, uh, Will he admit that? No, but but I, I gotta believe it means a lot to him. So we'll see. We'll, we will see. It'll be very interesting. I think that you know that little um, game within the game between him and uh, Gus Bradley. You know that, that'll be interesting. And so you know I I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Agreed. Uh, Colts a three point favorite heading into Sunday in Charlotte. Stephen, safe travels down there, and uh, thanks for the time as always. Sorry, you got it, guys. Stephen Holder right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Uh, the 4.05 kick time for the Colts this week, Andy. Uh, you won't have to be scrambling to get Spiro Ditas and Adam Archuleta. Uh, we've got Kevin Harlan on the call oh, 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 man. Sunday at 4.05. Oh, I love Kevin Harlan. Got- IU legend Trent Green with him. I am obviously, I think, I, I don't know any sports fan out there that's not a Kevin Harlan fan, uh, frankly. All right, so so two stories on this. Uh, Kevin Harlan, back in the day on a show that I produced, Kevin Harlan joined us weekly, okay? So the the the, the parent company was owned uh, in Kansas City, okay? And that's where, you know, Trent Green played and still lives in Kansas City, and Kevin Harlan, that's where he's at. I mean, I don't know if you knew that or not. That's where no, Kevin Harlan... Okay, that's where he's based out of. So... We got Kevin Harlan uh, every single week. And it was like, you know, I think we recorded it. And he's the kind of guy you would ask, so uh, what about what about the Colts? And he would just talk for like four minutes. And he would know everything about every team. So I had Kevin Harlan's number. And so I'm at a college football game and I've been drinking heavily. Okay. Oh, geez. And I look down and I realize I'm pocket dialing Kevin Harlan. Oh, and so I'm drunk. I might be urinating and Kevin Harlan's, hello, 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 Andy. Andy, hello. And then the second thing. He's answering? <laughs> you're damn right he answered. When you're I call. Wh- yeah, your Are mic's you not on. you potty right now? Your mic's not on, Mark. You're just peeing your pants in the stands or no, you're at a urinal? No, I, I, uh, I was at the urinal. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's that's Kevin Harlan. Great Papa guy. Papa John's okay? Stadium just <laughs> urinating everywhere, Andy <laughs> Hey, Sweeney. it's not that anymore. He disgraced himself. So anyway, uh, and then Trent Green 
uh, was flown in for like a client thing one year, okay? And and you know, some people know who Trent Green is. No offense to him. Some people don't know or don't remember Trent Green, okay? So Trent Green is there. And he met he met one of the uh, the sales ladies that was there, and they introduced him as Pro Bowler Trent Green. She thought he was a bowler. Oh, oh man, like Pete <laughs> Weber. <laughs> It's like, how heavy of a ball do you use? I mean, to be fair, I think there are a lot of NFL guys that enjoy bowling. Who do you think you are, I am? Uh-huh. Who do you think you are, I am? He does the... Um, <laughs> the dude, DX chop. Oh, yeah. did you see that Joel Embiid got fined for that? I, I did. The DX chop? Yeah. Jo- jo- uh, Joel Embiid did the DX uh, chop, and I think it's a $35,000 mm-hmm. fine is now, what he got well, for doing Triple that Triple H event. of WWE <laughs> said, hey, by the way, WrestleMania's in Philly this of year. If you want to go do that and not get fined. God, did you so see Michael fight. Pittman yeah. got fined for his deuces as well? I mean, does he he, really? Tyree Kill does like, that every, doing? every catch Tyree Kill does that. Does he get fined ten grand every time he does that, every touchdown he has? Pittman tried to say that he was looking at Shane Sykin saying go for two. Oh, and that's so weak from the NFL. Yeah, extremely that's weak. so weak. I believe Woodland Bowl, by the way, has the U.S. Open of bowling, or at least they have had that in the past. Woodland Bowl really? here at 96 okay. in Keystone, so one day you can take a little gas up there. and I mean, hell, you get a little date night, get a little uh, there you uh, go. cosmic bowling, right? There you go, a little date night. Oh, yeah, I haven't been... I used to bowl as a kid because I grew up until I was 10 at Western New York and there's nothing to do because it snows in July, so I was just put in bowling leagues and everything else. I really enjoy it, but, you know, I used to have my uh, own bowling ball for many, really? many years. Oh, yeah. Had my own bowling ball you for many, many years. Then. Not anymore, though. When I moved up here, I did I did toss it away. MVP. Franklin Moss, where are you no, going? No, listen, I'm with I'm Zach Moss was it's an interesting answer because Deion Jackson was so bad week one. It's like if you didn't have Zach Moss with the injuries and with Deion Jackson being bad, you would have been in some real bad trouble. But Zaire Franklin's a guy that you feel like you could sign and could be on your team for the next, you know, three, four, five years to, you know, give him extension uh, at some point. Uh, yeah, to me, I'm with you. I would go Franklin probably. It'd be close, but I'd go Franklin. I gave breakout player to Zach yeah, Moss. Yeah, well. I figured his first. <laughs> Three seasons really didn't do much, if anything, in Buffalo. Um, and so that's why I gave him the breakout play. Rookie of the year, pretty obvious to me, and Josh Downs. I mean, Franklin might have – he's going to push 200 tackles, is he not? Right. And, and like, we, that's not crazy to say. You know, in the next handful of weeks, we'll get into a little bit more of, okay, who is deserving for a Pro Bowl. Uh, you know, Zaire Franklin won't get a Pro Bowl nod because he just doesn't have the name recognition, uh, which is a shame. But, I mean, he's putting up a season that, you know, falls into that category. If I, you're going to nitpick a little, you would like some more turnover-type plays from those linebackers. Uh, but, you know, again, so much of that falls on Shaquille Leonard, who, you know, it's now eight straight games without a forced fumble interception or fumble recovery. I, I might disagree with you on the Pro Bowl. The only and now this might be splitting hairs. Nobody plays in this. I mean I remember you know Sure, sure, sure. I, I don't care about the game. It's more about the recognition. Yeah, the early recognition he may not get, but if you said, okay, because of the teams that are going to be in the Super Bowl, so some of their guys obviously their guys won't make it and then other guys just don't want to go, I could see him being there in the yeah, game. I, I, but not the initial no. wave. Not I the talk initial about wave. The initial. Yeah. The initial the wave, initial you're right. Yeah, I you're don't right. know. Eighth alternate, and then you become a pro bowler. That does not resonate 
to me anywhere near uh, that first announcement. Uh, coming up at 9, Alex Golden from Setting the Pace. Again, Pace for Celtics tonight. The injury report uh, not looking great for Indiana. We'll talk more about that, honestly, in the morning checkdown. But, Andy, let's lead off the news of the wee hours of the morning, NFL-wise. The morning checkdown. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Yeah, back-to-back nights. You know, two nights ago, James Harden traded in the middle of the night. And about, what, 3, 3.30 a.m., Adam Schefter, ESPN, reporting. Josh McDaniels, head coach there with the Raiders. Dave Ziegler, who is the GM, both gone there with the Raiders. Uh, I mean, obviously, everyone around here knows about Josh McDaniels. Uh, 9-16 and 16 with the Raiders. 20-33 and 33 overall between Denver uh, and the Raiders as a head coach, and he's gone. And now Antonio Pierce, who I love, by the way, Antonio Pierce will get the nod there for the remainder of the season. Former Giant facing the Giants, right? Come uh, this yeah, that's yep. the other uh, crappy 405 mm-hmm. game before you get to Eagles-Cowboys. Uh, Thursday night football here in Week 9. It'll be Will Levis and Kenny Pickett, it looks like, tomorrow night. Titans and Steelers. Real quick, in uh, that one. another NFL note. The Bears have fired running backs coach David Walker. Uh, HR was in Involved in the decision, the second time HR has been involved in a Bears firing this year. Also had Allen Williams as well. Uh, David Williams, or uh, yeah, David Walker actually, uh, running backs coach for the Colts Former from Colts, 2011 yeah. to 2014, uh-huh. and the uh, running backs coach, at, uh, our offensive coordinator Carmel in 2015. Yeah, I was going to oh, say about I that. Definitely remember him. What, there. what kind of an offense did he run at Carmel? Do you guys remember? Was it, was it run and gun or what was it? Was it? Uh, Carmel football, it's kind of mystifying to me that they aren't better here as of late, considering how big their school is. Off year. Uh, off year for them. Wow, I feel like it's been a couple of all off years. Could be wrong on that. Uh, World Series, we're on the verge of a champion. That would be the Texas Rangers on the road again last night. It has been an incredible run for uh, the Rangers away from home. Uh, last night, 10 runs scored with two outs against the Diamondbacks. They go up 3-1. It was 11-7 winners. Last night, Game 5, a potential to obviously clinch the World Series. Coming up tonight, it'll be Nathan Avaldi on the mound, and you like that for World Series MVP if he gets it done? Yeah, if he gets it done, I mean, he's going to be 5-0 and with a 2 ERA. With Garcia going out, who else would it be? It'd be do him, they do right? just a World Se- Is that the entire playoffs? No, I think it's World Series MVP. Is this worst-case scenario for baseball where it's not a very compelling matchup to begin with? The ratings are at all-time lows, and then you might end the series in five games? Well, I... Yes and no. You know, part of me is like, wait, they're the only show in town really tonight. The NFL doesn't play on Wednesday. If they go to game six or seven, does anyone care when it's Friday and Saturday night? I, I, I understand what Mark's saying. I, I don't care. Yeah, right? If I'm I, I a mean, baseball fan, I don't care if people watch. I'm going to watch either way. I mean, I, I just feel like if we even got to, so what, Saturday night would be game seven. Is that right? Uh, let me look at it try here. to avoid the NFL at all costs. Well, I mean, they didn't earlier. Yeah, we would have, let's see. Yeah, it'd be Wednesday. Then it would be Friday Oh goodness! Yeah, game here. game seven, a game potential game seven would be on on Saturday at eight oh three. Like I would love to see the game seven ratings going up against Washington <laughs> USC and LSU Alabama. <laughs> Because those are your night games on ABC I, and yeah, CBS. I, I know game one came out and they were historically low. I, I, game I don't two know. Is worse, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much to harp on baseball. It's it's. 
it's and, not and interesting that, to a lot of people, but I mean, I don't is, know if I care. Again, Texas, Arizona. I know Texas is obviously a different market, but I just don't think there's a lot of juice with either of these two teams from a game recognition no. No. standpoint. Uh, Pacers in action tonight. Our coverage on the fan beginning at 7 o'clock there in Boston. Let's play this Rick Carlisle sound again. Ben- Benedict Matherin, along with Tyrese Halliburton, dealing with injuries. Doesn't sound good that these guys are going to play tonight. Uh, we're a little banged up. You know, Ty's ankles a little banged up. Um, he didn't practice, uh, and Ben's uh, Ben's got an elbow issue, right elbow issue that he's dealing with. He's yeah, not, he's he's uh, he's seeing he's seeing the doc right now, so he did not practice either. So those guys will be likely listed as questionable at best, uh, and we'll see where they are tomorrow. Yeah, throw Jalen Smith's Ooh. name onto that list as Ooh. well. Questionable uh, at best. Left knee sprain for Jalen Smith. You hate to hear any sort of right elbow as well for a guy like Matherin. You know, he attacked the rim at one point, Mark. I think this is probably the hoop that you were sitting by. Mm-hmm. And, boy, his, like, neck area hit the stanchion. I mean, yeah. I thought he was going to be down for a while. It, I, I, I yelled out, and I said, oh, my God, because I thought he at least, at the worst, got a stinger, but I thought he right. jammed his neck or something. It looked bad. It's shocking to me the dude doesn't get more hurt, frankly, yeah. with how much he attacks the rim. So, uh, certainly not a great-looking injury report. And you said uh, Jalen Brown is questionable? For yeah, it was, it was Jalen Brown, right? I believe, the, um, I, believe it was Jay, I, yeah, I believe it was Jalen Brown. I, I don't know if he plays or not. I This is... I don't know. Like To me, this is... <laughs> this is worst-case scenario, is it not? Having these guys dealing with an injury, especially if it's a guy like Matherin, who, who we're hoping was going to make the next step. And then, obviously, anytime Halliburton's not in the lineup... Goes 21, 22 points and about 12 assists and five rebounds a game. So, you know, you can't replace his production. Uh, but, you know, hop on DraftKings or FanDuel and see if you can get some over on some other guys. Nemhard, Buddy Heald, something like that. Yeah, we'll talk more with Alex Golden coming up at 9 o'clock. But, yeah, Nemhard, Buddy Heald. I, I'm curious, Aaron Neesmith against his former team. That would be a guy I'd probably slide into the starting lineup for defensive purposes, especially going up against those wings. But 11 and a half point underdog that might that might end up being the biggest underdog the Pacers are all year long after tonight uh they return home back to back Friday and Saturday that is Cleveland and Charlotte and then Victor Webanyama potentially on Monday depending on how the Spurs handle him five game homestand for the Pacers uh Colts got a walk through t- today Andy again Juju Brent's quad Braden Smith who's missed three straight games those are the two to watch I don't think Shane Sagan said on Monday no injuries came out of the loss to New Orleans, so that's good news on that front. But, boy, the availability of Juju Brents, short-term and long-term, is something you obviously want to see. And the college football rankings, the first one announced last night, the number one team in the land, the Ohio State Buckeyes, followed by Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and then five and six right now, Washington and Oregon. Uh, and, you know, it's funny coming from this. I know we need to take a break. Penn State's 11, and they did, they extrapolated it out that if they had a 12 team playoff, that James Franklin would have made the playoff like five times. Because <laughs> he's always, he's, he's always good, but he's not quite good enough to be a top four team in the country because he can't, you know, can't beat some of the big wigs in the Big Ten. They also ask if the Michigan, you know, cheating fiasco, Connor Stallions and all that had anything to do. I believe they said no. It was an NCAA issue, not a college football playoff issue, which is awesome. Michigan's allowed 47 points this season. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I mean, Harbaugh has to win it this year and then just go to the Raiders. 80 is the second best right now. Who's that? Ohio State. Okay. 47 for Michigan. Uh, they've got Purdue, 32 and a half point favorite. <laughs> wow. Coming up Saturday night, Indiana, Wisconsin at home, and Notre Dame at Clemson. A noon kickoff there. Notre Dame just a slight favorite in that one. All right, on the other side, we'll continue a little bit of the Colts trade deadline. And I've got more reasons to be bad, mad at Bally Sports. We'll share that as well. It is the wake-up call and an overcast start to this November. Thank you for tuning in to the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Misfits or Danzig? It's Misfits, right? Yes, hybrid moment. Oh, yeah. You I said you were rocking this... that and scaring the hell out of Trigger yeah. Street. I saw that tweet. <laughs> blasting this last night. Oh, you got to play the Misfits every once in a while, right? Especially if it's... Trick-or-treaters loving it. That's what they love in Irvington. That's what trick-or-treaters love. <laughs> so there you go. How much candy will you eat uh, of the kids? Is that something you guys do? Yeah, I mean, I stole three or four Reese's already from Okay. Reggie. Yeah, I've already done that. But then our, our pediatric dentist in town, for like every pound of candy you bring in, they give you like... 10 bucks so we're like packing ziploc bags Whoa. and bringing it over later and then what do they do with it i don't know i don't know what they do with well, they, it they, they, they give throw you it away bucks, yeah. 10 bucks a pound i'm like that's that's pretty solid I'd <laughs> i don't say. know if i like that deal <laughs> i don't think so either i yeah. think i'm actually totally gar- against it you get rid of the garbage candy you're just like i don't want this take the the milk duds and the juji fruits Take them all. Settle down with the Milk Duds. Settle down with that. Oh, I'm not yeah. Milk Duds guy. I, I know, I know. Let me give you some Shane Steichen numbers. Uh, and and I always say this. I don't know if they lead to anything, and there's a lot of gray area. It's not black or white. By the way, Alex Golden going to join us in about 20 minutes. We'll talk some Pacers with him. Let me just throw this your way, KB. Um you feel like, I guess this is kind of leading, this is the way I feel, that the second half, obviously, running the ball six times, one of those, only one of those being Jonathan Taylor, uh, they, you know, they both, you know, Jim Bob Cooter and Shane Steichen are like, well, you know, we were behind in the fourth quarter. It's like, yeah, but it was a one-score game, and at times it was a 21-20 to game, so it's not like you went one possession, six plays, where you were down the 15 points, the two touchdowns, and the two-point conversion. So I can understand they're throwing the football a lot, but every other possession... I just don't buy it. And so, you know, I just looked up. If you go to his, and yeah, I just went to his Wikipedia. Uh, I mean, like Shane Steichen, they put in what he did with that Philly offense in 2021 and 2022, and it's ridiculous. And we know he had ridiculous players. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith had record setting everything else. Miles Sanders got the contract in Carolina because of Shane Steichen. You see what Miles Sanders, I think Chuba, uh, is it Chuba Hubbard, the old Oakland? Chuba. Hubbard, yeah, yeah, Chuba. I think he's actually the leading rusher right now for Carolina. So I, I just looked, and, and you know, I feel this way. And kind of the elephant in the room here is there's no Anthony Richardson. So because there's not Anthony Richardson, there are less rushes that are going to be out there, uh, less rushing touchdowns, attempts, yards, and all of those things. But if you go in 2021. I just I just looked and said, what are what do the numbers say? In 2021, Jalen Hurts played, I believe, 15 games in that season. That's that was his coming out party in 21. He averaged 28 passing attempts a game. 
In 2022, Jalen Hurts, again, another great year, MVP-type season, he averaged 30, nearly 31 passing attempts per game. So I just I just wondered, and, and they the reason I kind of got thinking about this, you know, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, all these guys were so good, what they had at tight end and everything else in Philly, catching the ball. But what did you think? When you when you saw the Eagles, and, and I've watched this team up close, with Steichen, they set all sorts of records rushing the football. I mean, in 2022, they were the NFL's most productive offense, um, but not only that, their rush yards were, th- I mean, top five. In 2022, they were fifth in the NFL with 147 rush yards per game. And Minshew has in four starts. So I took out, what, the Titans game, and I took out the Texans game. Now, I think he had like 23 passing attempts in the Texans game. But Minshew, in four starts, has nearly 41 passing attempts per game. And again, if you go to Jalen Hurts in 2021, it was 28 with Shane Steichen passing attempts per game. In 2022, it was 30. Minshew, in the four starts is averaging nearly 41 passing attempts per game. And I think it tells us one thing. I think it tells us a couple things. It tells us that not running the football heavily in the second half, I don't think Shane Steichen, and I think he said as much in a couple different media availabilities, KB, I don't think he thinks... He was wrong with that. No. It might. I mean, you feel that way, don't you? I mean, he he feels like, yeah, I mean, this is the offense we're going to run. And then it makes me wonder, you know, Hurts ran the ball a lot that I wonder when Anthony Richardson comes back, what the run splits will be between he and Jonathan Taylor uh, as well. And so, I don't know. I I don't know if it means anything at all. I I think, for me, you could... uh, It's almost like he's throwing the football a lot because he doesn't believe in, like, he's got a second chance with his defense. Like, he's got to hit on some of these passing plays that in Philly, if you had a bad possession, I mean, that Eagles defensive line would just clean you up. They had a couple corners who have been in Pro Bowls and Ball Pros and everything else. So, I just found it interesting with Minshew, they are throwing the football a ton more than he did on average in 21 and 22 with Jalen Hurts. And then I wonder as well uh, how that offense and how those numbers will change once Anthony Richardson is back and you would imagine he would be getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 7 to 11 carries per game, how that is going to look as well. You know, I'll, I'll echo what I said to Stephen Holder a few minutes ago, Andy. The further you get removed from a game and just things naturally simmer down, the raw emotions simmer down, and you start to kind of look deeper into specific points of the game, you know, th- there are many times where I'm like, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. You know, I can put myself into Frank Reich's shoes. I can put myself into Gus Bradley's shoes, uh, you know, Shane Second, whoever, and say, okay, I understand where they're coming from with that sort of game plan. The further away I've gotten from the Saints game, it has become more mystifying. Like, I, I don't get it at all. It's not like you were moving it effectively through the air. You know, go back to Michael Pittman's comments after the Browns game. And just focus on what Pittman said. You know, I don't feel like I'm a big part of my offense, big big part of the offense, this and that. Well, you can counter to that and say, oh, Michael, the Colts scored 38 points. The Colts had 450 yards. They were moving it just fine. And Michael Pittman would probably sit down and be like, okay, yeah, you are right. If you said to Shane Sykin, 
hey, uh, like you weren't scoring or whatever. Shane can't counter and say, hey, Gardner had a huge day, man. Eight yards per right. per, per pass attempt. He was more like five, wasn't he? W- wasn't it five, five yards which is per a completion? Very, very poor number for a passing offense, or that you were scoring at will. In the second half, you scored seven points. Jonathan Taylor had one carry and one catch. Seven points and a half of football. Jonathan Taylor, one carry, one catch. I go back to the first quarter yesterday. I went back and watched it. And it wasn't, and this might sound stupid, but Andy, it wasn't just that Taylor had the 80-some rushing yards in the first quarter. Like, obviously, that speaks for itself. It's the second-best first quarter of Jonathan Taylor's career. But I was going back and watching how he was running. I mean, that dude was running over Saints players, through Saints players. I mean, showing off the speed in the open field. Jonathan Taylor in the first quarter on Sunday, the yards gained per carry. 4, 6, 14, 42, 3, 13. And then the final play went for no gain. They they tried to score there on the final play of the first quarter from the one-yard line. So you add that up, that's 11 yards per play. The other plays the Colts ran, obviously these include several passing plays in here, 0, 0, 1, 1, 7, 10, 3, 12, 5, 9. You add up all that, just under 5 yards per play. That is a huge discrepancy. 11 yards per play when Taylor touches it. Less than five when you do anything else offensively. When I hear Shane say on Monday, you got to ride the hot hand, what says hot hand? That says hot hand. Jonathan Taylor, I mean, so again, the further removed we get from it, uh, I am pretty mystified by it. Carolina is one of the worst rushing teams in the NFL. You think it would be pretty wise to pound Taylor and, and, and still utilize Zach Moss a little bit. On Sunday. You mentioned being mystified. I'm I'm with you. I am more mystified about the running attack and Jonathan Taylor from the first quarter on, specifically the second half. They've went out of their way to make sure we know not to be mystified about Tony Brown. I mean, Gus Bradley yesterday went out of his way. I mean, he talked for 60 seconds how it wasn't all Tony Brown's fault. Right? How there was safety help that was supposed to be there that wasn't there. Right. They haven't done that much other than, well, well we're it, down a couple scores, yeah. which we Shane know. Transparency was, doesn't work. Yeah, it was one it. possession. They were down a couple. I, I just, I wonder with Steichen, the most different thing with Jonathan Taylor is in Philly, and I, I'm just using a two year sample size with the Eagles. I get it. With Philly in 2020, let me go back, 2021, Jalen Hurts had the most carries and the most yards and the most touchdowns rushing the football for them. And if you look at Miles Sanders, he only had 137. He was probably injured. I think he only played 10 or uh, I think 12 games is what it was. And then last year, Miles Sanders had a breakout year. He touched the ball not 300 times, but it was like 250, 260 rushes. This is different for Steichen because here we're looking at and saying, yes, Zach Moss is nice, and whoever they bring in, whether it be a rookie or a veteran next year to kind of be the other running back, perhaps a change of pace back, the focal point in Indianapolis is give the damn ball to Jonathan Taylor, especially when you sign him to a lucrative three-year deal. That's not the case in Philly. The case in Philly has been the two years with Steichen, A, run Jalen Hurts, and B, very much running back by committee. Again, if you go to 2021, Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, remember him? 
Boston Scott. Indiana for Yeah, you remember that? Kenneth Gainwell. All of those guys had a lot of run during the season. And so I, I like I I find it interesting if Shane Steichen is going to run the ball as much as he did in Philly, and if he does, is it predicated on Anthony Richardson? And if it is, I think Steichen has kind of showed his hand that when Richardson's back, we're not changing a bunch of the offense around. I mean, he's going to run the ball. It's like Jalen Hurts did in Philly. Uh, And I'm just, I just, it just makes me wonder how Steichen reacts to this is a one running back system, whereas what he was with in Philly was not a one running back system. I mean, they could throw Boston Scott in there who could go get some run. It's different. I'm not saying it's better. It's just something worth watching as we go. Yeah, I, I like Steichen a lot. It's just something worth watching. We're way over. I hate Bally Sports. I'll explain more next. <laughs> All right, we got to be quick here. Alex Golding going to join us. We'll talk some Pacers basketball here in about five minutes. KB, you teased your anger towards Bally's. I have no idea where you're going here, so I'm interested. Let's go. Yeah, Bally obviously bankrupt in March. Uh, Ineptness would define their company, to say the least. Uh, They are playing a big role in why the IHSCA has decided to no longer air the state final game. So think basketball, football, girls volleyball this weekend. Uh, those will be just exclusively streamed, IHSATV.org. And that is behind, behind a paywall <laughs> of course, of $15 of course. per game, which I think is a beyond ridiculous $15 price point. $15 per game? $15 per game. Um, and, and again, <laughs> all of this stems from uh, Bally Sports. And the bankruptcy in March, I just I was informed a few months later that they would not be airing their games, which used to be, you know, think back yeah. to the Fox Sports days. Used to saw some state finals there. Obviously, you go way back, and they were on, you know, Channel 4 and things like that there. So, I can only imagine, especially when we get to state football season, Andy, that first Friday, the Friday, Black Friday, if you will, that, you know, that Class A or 2A game starts at noon. How many people, particularly outside of kind of probably our listening area, you get into some of those smaller towns, when they realize at 11.50 or whatever, 11.55, that that, that, that a tradition that they probably have had, because I think for a lot of people, it is a bit of a tradition to watch some state final events. Again, maybe not necessarily in Indy, but some of the smaller towns, uh, just an absolute joke. And again, all this stems from Bally, um, personally. Uh, IHSA wise, I'd love to see them partner with like Wish TV here locally mm-hmm. to air those games or, or get them on an actual channel because again, generations are probably a little bit above ours. Um, I think you're going to be in for such a shock when this, a game? when this really gets here. Yeah, I believe it's twenty for the the entire session, but individually. Uh, for games, it would be fifteen bucks. Uh, I remember we had the U uh, of L baseball games. We got to be quick here. I know we got to go to break. And they were in so it was some big game that was on Bally's and KB. It was like the bottom of the eleventh, and there were two outs, bases loaded, and a pitch got thrown, but it hit a top of the hour, and they had a hard out. You know, like five o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, and they went to uh, they went to a weightlifting conversation <laughs> competition. <laughs> Sticking with it. I, I just want to make sure that I have that right. To reiterate, this is from the HSA. The price to view state finals contests will be the same as buying a ticket at the venue. Generally, fifteen dollars per game or twenty dollars for an all-access pass. 
Bally stinks. I think that's a ridiculous price point on top of it from the IHSAA. So, conversation we'll uh, chat with Greg Rexstraw about a little bit later in the week. On the other side, Pacers, Celtics, not a good-looking injury report. We'll chat with Alex Golden about that for tonight. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, appropriate music. Pacers in Boston tonight. Our coverage beginning at 7 o'clock right here on The Fan. We continue to talk about that. We'll get back in to the Colts discussion as we go. Pop quiz coming up in 30 minutes. Busy here in the 9 o'clock hour on the wake-up call. Let's get Alex Golden in here from Setting the Pace. He joins us on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline. Alex, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Uh, we're fantastic. Uh, getting warm, uh, staying warm from a uh, very cold Halloween night. And uh, uh, we'll ask you more about that maybe as we go. But I tell you, Alex, uh, wow, Matherin, Halliburton are going to be very questionable per Rick Carlisle. I guess what's your reaction to that? And uh, game four, those guys missing a game sure doesn't bode well for them tonight in Boston, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, if Halliburton and Matherin are out against this talented Boston team, that's not a great sign. But I, I will say injuries are, are something that happens a lot, especially during the 82-game uh, season. But, you know, game four is a little bit surprising. We'll see how they uh, end up faring and, and if they're able to play in tonight's game. I think they're definitely needed. But we've seen crazier things happen in the NBA when teams are undermanned. It seems like some of those guys that are trying to get an opportunity to prove themselves, they can come in and, maybe take advantage of a team that overlooks a Pacers team that might be down two starters. Brad asks, have we placed the odds on the Bally stream working tonight? Yeah, Brad, I think it's about plus 10,000 on the Bally stream working tonight. Uh, I won't bore you with Bally questions, Alex, unless you want to give your thoughts. Um, Let's go Matherin. Yeah, I think if Halliburton's out, to me it's rather obvious. Nemhard bumps into the starting lineup, McConnell, I I don't know. I guess there's times where Rick actually would put McConnell in the starting lineup just to have Nemhard stay with that second unit. Nonetheless, more Nemhard, more McConnell. No Matherin, I think it's a little bit more of a question. How would you see that playing out? Do you think it'd be Neesmith for his defense in the starting lineup? Would you bump Buddy Heald back into the starting lineup? Because that's you know a little bit more of what he's used to. Uh, and then where would the trickle-down effect? More Ben Shepard, more Jordan Wara. How do you see if it's no Matherin? Yeah, good question. Um, I I think you'd probably put Neesmith in there just because I feel like he's been the most reliable bench player this season so far, and they need him for defensive purposes going up against Tatum and and Brown and then Drew Holiday's in the mix. So I I think that that would make a lot of sense. And then McConnell, to me, I think I would bring him off the bench. I think I would start Nembhard because I think he's a better defender, a little bit more switchable, and and could be kind of interesting to have Brown, Nembhard, and Neesmith out there for defensive purposes. And then um, if you look at the bench, I don't know if I'd go war. I just think that I'd probably give Shepard the nod here just because I want to see what he can do. And I think offensively they could use some of his shooting touch. So uh, young guy, he's a better defender, I think, than Jordan War is at this point, too. So that's the route I would go Yeah, uh, if both of them are out. So, yeah, that's that's a different one. They might just tighten up the rotation a little bit. I don't know if they'd play eight-man rotation or not, but that, that could be something they do and uh, just try to – give their best efforts in terms of like the players they trust the most but 
it could be a great opportunity for Ben Shepard to get out there and showcase what he can do as a rookie. I lied, Alex. Do you have Bally thoughts? <laughs> and I ask it to you. Give a Bally's thought. I ask you to you because I do feel like you deal with a Pacers crowd that's not just here locally. I mean, you, you guys yeah. have obviously a huge following. And so we probably talk to a little bit more of a whatever, a geographically centric audience here. Uh, you know, you guys have Pacers fans all over. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, so it, it's definitely not good. And I will say this: I I have the Bally Sports app. Um, I do also have my parents' TV uh, pr- provider, so I'm able to watch on Direct TV if I need to. And so I was able to pull that up on on Monday night to watch the game through their Direct TV app login. But unfortunately, with Bally, it was not working. And I even saw yesterday. I think the Hornets were playing. Maybe um, I saw a tweet and the Hornets person that was covering the team was like, "Are, are we still down with Bally?" So I don't. I don't know if it was down again last night too, but it's not good. And I think if you're paying twenty bucks a month, twenty is, a month, that's a lot of money for uh, an app that doesn't work very well in a in a company that filed for bankruptcy. So, you know, and and I want to say this, you know, you feel bad for guys like you know Chris and Quinn and JJ because sure, they're Pacers yeah. employees. They're not they're not Bally employees technically. They're Pacers employees. I know Chris always emphasizes that to me. When we talk to him, he's, you know, they they can't control where they're on at, but they are they are part of that Bally Sports umbrella, and it's unfortunate that their app has crashed so many times. And I don't really know what's going to happen, but every time I was tweeting about anything, it was like, oh, it must be nice to watch. I mean, I don't know how many fans were affected by it, but I would say it, it felt like over fifty percent of the fan base on Twitter that interacts with us was unable to watch the game. Whatever you do, don't tweet at Alex uh, Golden trying to get his parents' login uh, to be able to watch the game tonight. It is funny. So This is Golden123 at Yahoo.com. So, Alex, you'll like, you'll like this. So I, I, had, I had a buddy's sister's ATTU verse login from like six years ago. So when Bally's wasn't going to work and it became evident that it wasn't going to work like the entire game, I went back on our conversation. KB, you'll love this. I went back in our conversation like five, six years ago to try to find that login and I found it. Okay. I found it because you can go back forever. Okay. That's a miracle. So I went back and I, and I found it, but apparently in the last five years she had changed her password. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so That's I was funny. shut out the I- other night. Man, that that is really funny. I've had some instances where I've had to actually change my sure. password for certain things because ex girlfriends before I got married would end up, you know, being like, "Hey, did you change the Netflix password?" I'm like, oh "Yeah, we're not gosh. dating anymore. You're not getting that anymore. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm you're not mooching up." Alex Gold putting his foot down there. <laughs> Yeah, we ain't playing games. You know, you're in it for everything, and you're not getting enough. Well, you got to watch out on that too, because it shows like your search history. So it's like uh-huh. your wife would be like, "Why? Who was watching? Say yes to the dress." That's not something that you watch a lot at you know nine fifteen at night. What the hell? <laughs> no, you're right about that. Alex oh, Golden uh, setting the pace is the podcast. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, you know, they've been pretty healthy through the first three games, Alex. Anything surprise you with lineups or rotations so far of what you've seen here through the first three games, not including, you know, obviously tonight, which will probably have some jumbling? Uh, not entirely. I-, I was a little bit surprised against Chicago that TJ McConnell didn't get a- an opportunity after he played so well against Cleveland. And I felt like the pace of that game really did suit a McConnell someone that could come in there and kind of muck things up a little bit and I feel like in the half court offense that little jumper that he takes about 10 feet away from the basket which is so money would have been crucial for that that second unit that really struggled in that game after having a great game against the Cavs so yeah I mean 
it was 12 for 46 from three in that game. I mean, when you're shooting 26% from three and over half your field goal attempts are from outside, that's problematic. I mean, this is a team that loves to shoot a lot of threes. So don't want to dwell too much on the negative. I thought the way that bench came in and played uh, against Cleveland was just incredible, too. So it's it's been kind of uh, an interesting dynamic seeing how these two lineups have uh, meshed well together. And I feel like right now they're still um, – the verdict's still out on that starting five. They just haven't had a lot of chemistry together, so it's um, it's one of those things where I'm just waiting to see if Obi Toppin, Bruce Brown, Ben Matherin can are, are a good fit with uh, Halliburton and Miles. Just seeing how they play, I, I want to give it like a 25, 30 game sample before I'm really ready to write it off. But they were a plus in 16 minutes. I think they're like a plus five in 16 minutes against the Bulls. So hopefully that's uh, a step in the right direction for that starting five because I do think it's talented. I just don't know if it's the right pieces together. Alex Golden with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline on the Fan on a Wednesday. Buddy Heald, sixth in points, seventh in minutes. I guess I find that a little surprising. Do you find that surprising? I mean, his his role is a lot uh, more limited this year, so uh, maybe a little bit. But I, I feel like he's he's important to this team and what they want to do. I think you kind of saw it at the end of that Bulls game. They put him in there to try to find some offense, and that's exactly what he can do is he can be a microwave kind of guy. The the chemistry that he has with Tyrese, I think you're seeing him kind of get subbed in early in the first quarter to, to get some minutes with Tyrese. I, I, I would try, if I was Rick Carlisle, just to maybe find more minutes for those two together just because of the connection they have and, and try to get Buddy going early because once Buddy gets going, it, you know, it doesn't really matter who's out there with him at that point. I think he's just going to – feel more confident in himself and in that shot. So, yeah, I think that Buddy Hill, like, he's definitely taking a lesser role, and it makes sense because you're trying to get better defensively, and that is probably his worst uh, attribute that he brings to the team. So unfortunate for him, but defensively, he probably, out of the nine guys that are in that regular rotation, he's probably the worst of the nine. Get Alex Golden setting the pace is the podcast. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Alex, at, at one point... <laughs> Are we chalking up Jarris Walker to a redshirt year, or, or, or at one point, what point in the season do we get to and be like, man, it's a pretty big disappointment that he's not getting any minutes? Because, yeah, I mean, the Pacers aren't in an outright tank rebuild first year of the process, but they also aren't like all chips into the middle of the table. We're exclusively playing guys that have been in the league for X amount of years. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that we're kind of in this situation where the Pacers are trying to win now. And if you watch Jarris in preseason, he had a great first game against Memphis, against Memphis's third string, but Memphis is 0-4 as well right now. So how good is this Memphis team actually? I don't really know, but I do think that Jarris struggled uh, specifically in the preseason. He showed flashes of some really good moments, but then there was other times where he just the game was really fast for him. So I think with Jarris, it's going to come in time. We know Rick Carlisle has a history, I guess you could say, of not playing rookies and not playing young players, but that wasn't the case last year, and I think Pacer fans were a little spoiled with where Ben Matherin and Andrew Nimhard were last year in their rookie years because they were advanced for a lot of rookies. So, Jarris Walker, he's a four. He's a guy that has great upside, but it's just going to be, I think, when the opportunity comes, it's going to come when maybe there's an injury and he kind of plays himself into that rotation, or maybe like you said tonight, maybe he gets the nod to, to play more four and they bump Aaron up to the three, so maybe he gets in there as that backup power four to get some experience against the Boston team uh, if Matherin's not able to go. So they could do that as well. I just think that Jarris is uh, really young, and I think Carlisle mentioned on your guys' show, like it's going to be a little bit of time before he sees the floor 
And I understand that, but I also think at the same time, the best experience is getting out there and playing in games. You, you can really develop and practice, but if you're not getting on-court experience, then it's a little bit different in terms of that game time experience. So I'm hoping that we get to see him, but I understand why they're not, because I do think that with Obi Toppin here playing the power forward spot as a, as a starter and then bringing Neesmith off the bench, uh, kind of playing more before than he was originally, I guess, supposed to be playing at the beginning of the year, that is why Jarris has kind of fallen to that third power forward on the depth chart. Last one for me, Alex. What do you make of the in-season tournament that uh, gets underway here in a couple days? Any thoughts? And I would imagine we probably all need to explain that to fans who may not be keeping up with it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot to explain, to be honest with you. Like, I've seen Richard Jefferson do a video like four or five <laughs> times that the NBA put out, and it's still kind of confusing. So, you know, I, it's it's one of those things where it's, it's a trial and error. I, I'm not going to give an opinion on it yet because I haven't seen it. I just hope that the players actually take it seriously and try to make it something worth watching because if not, it, to me, it could just be a big fail. But I don't want to write it off yet. I know there's a lot of people that are against it. And as far as the court goes and the jerseys and stuff like that, I think it's actually pretty cool. I know a lot of Pacer fans were disgusted by the color of the court that the Pacers will have, that, <laughs> uh, that like aqua blue or teal blue, whatever it is, with yellow down the middle. I, I kind of actually liked it, to be honest with you. I was like, okay, this is kind of different. It's uh, giving me some uh, Boise State football field vibes here. But I'm, uh, I'm all for it. I think, it's, I think it's fun to just try to make the in-season games mean something a little bit more than what they normally do. But once again, it's just trial and error, and we'll see how it all plays out. He is Alex Golden. Again, setting the pace. Great listen to the Pacers podcast, and he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Alex, great stuff, man. I know you are also doing a little bit of written action as well. Yeah, so I, uh, I have a Substack. I tried doing it last year, but I was just not very consistent with it. But I've decided to be more consistent with it this year. So it's uh, at theblueandgolden.substack.com, and you guys can check that out for free. I don't charge anybody for any of my writing. And most of the time what you're going to find on there is uh, I'm doing a 10 thoughts after every game, so given 10 things that stood out to me in the game. Sometimes that's hard to do with trying to find 10 things that stood out, but um, I dove into that after the first game and decided to stay with it. So right now we're at 10 thoughts, uh, kind of a post-game recap article to give my thoughts on what I saw from the game. If you ever get stuck, just write down Bally Sports Sucks, and that can be one of your 10 <laughs> Get those page thoughts. views. Yeah, that, that to me could be an 82-nighter for you. Great yeah. stuff, Alex. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Alex Golden right there, Payless Slickers Hotline. I don't know. The in-season tournament doesn't really stress me out too much in trying to figure out what it's all about. Like, it's it's one of the 82 games, so I, I don't think like this is something that is all of a sudden. Wait, does that game count or does it not? These games count. Um, basically, the Pacers are part of a five-team pool. You'll play the other four teams one time. Uh, like you said, Andy, Cleveland on Friday will be the first of their four pool games, if you will. And the team that finishes with the best record of the five teams in your pool, they go to Vegas for the quarterfinals. So, um, yeah, I mean, picture it kind of, I don't know, maybe AAU resonates to a lot of people of, hey, you're in a pool. And if you win your pool, then you make it to the knockout round, the World Cup, I guess. I was going to say, so- soccer is probably the thing that it's stolen from the most. Yeah, so if you guess. win your group, you're into Vegas for the quarterfinals, and I believe there's two teams that will finish second among uh, the respective groups that will also advance to the quarterfinals. And if you don't, you're in a loser's bracket for two games. 
It's the the Pacers are in the East A group, which is the Sixers, the Cavs, the Hawks, the Pacers, and the Pistons. If you were wondering, yeah. So November third, November fourteenth, the twenty first, and then Thanksgiving Friday. Um, so they're they'll have a different court for those games. Again, all these games count toward your eighty two game season. Basically, you just have an additional standings, if you will. Um, so just yeah, some, I'm all. It's I mean, an incentive, something else to play for. It spices yeah, up the season for the winning team. If you're yeah. a winning player, five hundred thousand. So obviously, very enticing to I would say a lot of guys uh, for that. Uh, I'm fine for the NBA trying something new. Again, if you don't care at all about it, it's still going to matter for the 82-game season, the standings there. Um, The only team, there will be two teams that will play an extra game. Whoever makes it to the championship, they'll play an extra game that will not count. But, you know, 28 teams, it'll be just like your 82-game season with, I guess, a little bit more at stake in those games. Uh, The only way people will not like it is if you say we're copying this from soccer. <laughs> you get a bunch of people that want like to say that in the States. Yeah, I mean, come on. I think Silver, I'm, I'm fine with it. You might as well try something. I mean, it starts, I guess the only thing I would say, it starts a little early, but, you know, the group play is going to go the entire month of November. It does start like game four or five, which is very, you know, it's a very new season. There's a lot of newness uh, that goes to it, but I don't know. I'm fine with it. If you're a player and you win, I mean, 500K, if you're not a Joel Embiid or even a Halliburton or a Max guy i mean 500k that's pretty good yeah 500k for the winning team 200,000 for the losing team 100,000 if you make the semifinals 50,000 if you get out of your group and make it to the quarterfinals so even if you think it's stupid and you hate it who cares it's one of the 82 games that matter for the playoffs yeah, if it were outside the 82 games, I could understand maybe right, right, right. not caring counts. about it. But no, it absolutely counts. So yeah, to me, I don't have any hot take other than people probably won't pay attention to it too much. But who cares? Your team's on TV. If they're you know playing in a fancy jersey with a blue court, you'll know you know you'll you'll know that it's a that it's a that it's a group play. That it's not a normal Tuesday night at Gamebridge. Yeah, and I'm not going to sit here and all of a sudden if the Pacers somehow make it to Vegas and win it all, I'm not going to be like oh my, parade sure. parade they, around. Want something for it. Right. Like it, to yeah. me, it has very little in terms of an accomplishment equaling NBA championship sort of accomplishment. Because I think a best of seven series, you know, three of them, I guess, to get to the finals. Then obviously the finals that obviously stands out much, much more. But whatever for November, December in the NBA season, try something new, have a little incentive on it, and if nothing else, it's part of your eighty-two game schedule. I think the Richard Jefferson video confuses. It more to be quite honest. <laughs> I haven't watched it. I've watched I, it. It's like three and a I half minutes. He's like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. So again, it's like, whoa, four easy. games within your group. If you win the group, you're in the quarterfinals. The quarterfinals is elimination, one and done. Think of it like an elite eight for the NCAA tournament. Um, if you finish second in your group, I think I do think that's probably where it's a little confusing. Second in your group, you still have a chance. Two teams will be kind of the wild cards. Uh, and then once you get to Vegas, which that's where the Elite Eight and the Final Four and the championship will be, uh, it's, it's one and done. And you will play loser bracket games. So if the Pacers finish 
fourth in their group. Right. While the games in they're Vegas, not, they're not done playing. Are going on. They'll play their two games to match the eighty-two. So. It won't be like Purdue when they lose to a sixteen seed ooh, or a fifteen ooh. seed, and then they're done for the season. Yeah, I think the only thing is not the fans. I'm more interested if the players buy in and if teams do the obviously if a guy's rested, like if you know uh, or injured, I should say, if Halliburton or Matherin is injured, you're going to treat it like anything else. But you know, do do teams treat it any differently at all with load management? I think is kind of one of the questions they're trying to figure out as well. I can't imagine you would. You got to think Adam Silver's telling every NBA team, you better play your guys. Yeah, but we need they, something I, here. But they've already tried that. You're not going to risk it. If Matherin's no. got a right elbow issue and he's questionable, you know, I, I'm not playing him in early November and December and running that risk. Speaking of Purdue, Todd Meyer, executive. Uh, Producer, he was. What, what was he freaking out about the exhibition game? Uh, he was. Yeah, he was not he was happy. Complaining to the Arkansas guards. Yeah, same old guards at Purdue. I believe was his main complaint, which I understand, and that's probably one of the reasons I don't buy into Purdue when it gets to March. I buy into him from November, you know, November, December, January, February, February, even the first week of March. But once he gets to that second, third week of March, that's the reason you don't buy in. So the guards just show up in March, but they don't show up at other parts of the season? They don't play any team with good guards at other points in the season? Uh, That is the argument for a Purdue fan that you would have to ask them. I mean, Purdue's going to be like a two-seed this year, don't you think? undefeated in the non-conference each of the last two years? I mean, didn't they play some good guards in those non-conference games? Which makes it confusing what happens to them in March, which I tend to think is bleep happens in March. It just happens to them more than anybody else. That would be their argument. You'd have to ask Todd. Better chance come in and yell at you. Yeah. Uh, Better chance Purdue makes a Final Four this year. Indiana makes a Sweet Sixteen. Better chance Indiana makes a Sweet Sixteen. Making the Final Four is difficult, man. It's not easy. I mean, you know. It- <laughs> That'll rile. Them I mean, up. you could argue. What, am I am I wrong there? Don't you the majority argue of people the sweet think that? Sixteen for the Indiana well, program hasn't been the easiest thing either. That's true as well. Do you view them? Joey Brackett's had them at like a ten seed. Do you Saw view that. them that way? I'd say they're outside the top twenty-five. Um, it's a very unique look to their roster. I mean, they are huge in the front court. I worry about just the amount of capable bodies in the backcourt. Like, I mean, you, you are riding Xavier Johnson for thirty-eight minutes every night, and you know, a couple years ago, he was. Huge in making the tournament. Absolutely huge. And then there's other parts you point to and be like, that's a reason that you were on the bubble. Right. Because of his inconsistency. You know, Gabe Cups and CJ Gunn, are they ready to play meaningful roles? You need Trey Galloway to continue to ascend and play 38 minutes a night. But front court wise, they've got a lot of options. I think Malik Renew, you pencil him in for, you know, whatever, 14 and 8, something like that. Uh, but I would say right outside the top 25 makes sense. Yeah, 10 seed would be disappointing for me. I know it's way too early to even talk about it, but 10 seed would be... Now, their their first game is when next Wednesday, I believe. Yeah, I think they've got one more exhibition, exhibition. game. and now, then um, Now, Notre Dame has an exhibition game tonight. Uh, don't yes, they? Is they that something do. you're going to be locked into oh, or not? Sure, it's coming off in the Bowen household. <laughs> yeah, it's a big I, night. I know. I'm really hoping that I can watch that entire game. Do and they have a stream? It. Do they have a stream or something you can $15 watch that? $15 a game. <laughs> I would pay any amount. Can we get Bally at... South Bend for that. Oh, Bally's going to charge you $15 to watch a, a 1A football game, of 1A volleyball game, and whoever the hell Notre Dame plays. I did see it. It's like, is it Grace University or is that who Indiana plays? There's a Grace University that somebody's Marion, playing. Right? Is I, it I Marion? Notre Dame at Hanover. Isn't that is where it Hanover? Michael okay. Shrewsbury went? 
I believe yeah, that's listen, the case. Brother, you're going to have to answer uh, that question. I don't know. Purdue and Butler will open up their seasons on Monday. Purdue's got Samford. Butler's got Eastern Michigan. Indiana's got, is it Lob City? Are they still doing that thing, Florida Gulf Coast? That's who Indiana's got yeah, on I Tuesday. think they did that like eight years ago. I don't know if they're still doing that. Uh, Andy Enfield, remember him? Everyone's like, his wife's hot. Remember, that's all that anyone ever knew is that that's the case. And USC's is supposed to be pretty good, Well, right? I mean, they are. Is LeBron's kid going to play? After he had a, I mean, he had the heart attack. Is he going to play? Yeah, I totally forgot about that. I mean, I feel like that's like kind of one of the biggest stories in college basketball. Like, is LeBron James's kid going to play? Because if he plays, it, he's going to be micromanaged if he's good or bad. And, and you know, that's a health scare for a kid who's like 19. Uh, pop quiz coming up in a few. 317-239-1070 for that. Uh, nothing like the Mike Chappell text of him just waking up right now uh, talking about the big story of the night, which we'll lead off the morning check down with. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. So he texts you about Josh McDaniels? Is that he what... Goes, uh, Josh, he texts our Colt Rider group, texts Josh McDaniels. Sometimes the best deal is the one you didn't make. Yeah. And of course, no Zach, kidding. Zach Kiefer clarifies, he didn't make. Well, that was Josh McDaniels not making. <laughs> yeah, not Chris Ballard. That deal. Uh, the Raiders unloading. Uh, not, I guess not surprising. Maybe the timing a little bit uh, surprising, but the GM there... Uh, was it Dave Ziegler? He's out. Josh McDaniels out as well. I mean, if you look at McDaniels, it hasn't been good. Uh, his well, I had his numbers here. His time as a head coach, just 20 and 33, 9 and 16 there with Vegas. Antonio Pierce takes over as the head coach the rest of the way. Love it. Shout out to Grant. He tweets, all in on the Boilers making the Final Four. Plan my bachelor party for the first weekend in April in <laughs> Phoenix, wishing it into existence. Just yeah. for that, just for Grant, I want Purdue to make the Final Four after seeing yeah. that. Another, that is, another. By the way, another Final Four destination. Not like Indy, you can't park and just chill. Oh, uh, the stadium's no, forty-five. So far away. Yeah, the stadium's forty-five minutes yeah, it's away. It's in Glendale, right? Yeah, it mm-hmm. is. I love yeah. that. Oh, Grant's a Browns fan. Boy, a Browns fan and a Purdue fan. Am I taking the Browns in Eliminator? Uh, the Cardinals are starting that tune guy. I think we're taking the Saints. They got the Bears. You and the family, you're taking the Saints? Wow, against the Bears. Is Fields back, Mark? What? Is Fields back? No. Uh, Eberflus said on Monday that Bajan is getting the start again. Good. Yeah, more of that. Uh, Okay, uh, Pacers tonight. They are a big underdog. 11.5 points. Uh, Benedict Matherin, questionable right elbow injury on that. Tyrese Halliburton, ankle injury, also questionable. And Jalen Smith. So three of your top whatever. Seven, eight guys. Uh, all questionable for tonight. For those unfamiliar, 11.5 point spread in the NBA is huge. It's a massive spread. Um, but granted, it is the Celtics, and they look to be relatively healthy. Their injury report, uh, pretty clean. O'Shea Percet, by the way. Get some minutes for the Celtics, former Pacer. It's a 7.30 tip after tonight. The Pacers are home for five straight. In that stretch includes a back-to-back this weekend, and also Victor Webanyama on Monday night and the Spurs. Yeah, quickly, Major League Baseball Rangers winner uh, winners 11-7 over Arizona last night. Uh, game five tonight, they could win it all. Texas at Arizona, that one beginning at 8.03 on Fox. Uh, Colts have got a walkthrough today. No trade deadline action for them. Uh, be curious, Juju Brents, Braden Smith, their availability for this week. Uh, a three-point favorite, the Colts over the Panthers. Again, Carolina, Bryce Young, 
a sack six times last week, but they got their first win of the season. Plenty of Colts connections outside of Frank Reich. Uh, for this one, and uh, Kevin Harlan going to be on the telecast oh, 405 kick coming up on Sunday. Kevin Harlan and Trent Green on CBS for Colts and Panthers. All right, uh, on the other side, it is time for the pop quiz 317 239 1070. We'll do that. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Next. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with KB and Andy. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. All right, Pop Quiz time. Yesterday was a fun Pop Quiz. I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he did well. He was fun. He got, I think, three out of five right, Ryan, which isn't too bad. Was, was it Ryan? There yeah, you go. That is right. Good job, Ryan. How much money has Mark Davis lost on John Gruden and Josh McDaniels? Oh, boy, those are guaranteed deals. So Josh McDaniels got the rest of uh, of everything there. Six-year I mean, contract from McDaniels. He's fired midway through year two. Yeah. And now how much did, did he get any relief on the John Gruden stuff, given all the all the nastiness that went on there? Because he did yeah, give him a 10-year, $100 million deal. It was a 10-year, 100 mil, if I'm not mistaken. Who coaches an NFL game again? Jeff Saturday or Josh McDaniels? Uh, I will go McDaniels. The chance he has, he'll be an offensive coordinator, and maybe a coach leaves, gets fired, and he's an interim head coach. But as far as being hired as the sole head coach, I don't think that's going to happen again. Yeah, Josh McDaniels and John Gruden, and the best coach that's been with the Raiders in that time was Rick Passaccia. Right. Where's he at, by the way? I think he's Green Bay. Yeah, I thought Green Bay. Is he? Yeah. Again, the Colts interviewed him. He was part of their head coaching search for that. Okay, it is time for the pop quiz. uh, You're doing two and four, you said? Yeah, I'll do two and four today. Okay, uh, give us a number, one through eight. Uh, One through eight, let's go. Let's go two. Caller two, whoever that is. Is that okay? Good Jimmy. Scotty, I forgot about Bjorken. Good Jimmy's on the line. What's up, Jimmy? Hey, what's up, Kevin? Andy, first time I've called in on your show, so... Nice to talk to you formally over the phone. So. Yeah. Jimmy and I, Andy, went to the Pacer game last Wednesday night. <laughs> okay. Maddie Bowen in the house as well. That's what I thought. Jimmy, we had an outstanding time. I, I At one point, I believe Adam Silver was asking you for suggestions on how to improve the NBA. Wasn't that correct? <laughs> Uh, if only that were true, KB. If only that were true, I would have, I would have given him my uh, my one cent. So <laughs> <laughs> that was a great time, fun atmosphere. I appreciate the invite. It sounds like though we're going to be watch, watching a banged up Pacers team coming up tonight. I don't know if you've uh, seen the injury report: Benedict Mather and Tyrese Halliburton questionable, Jalen Smith questionable. Mm. Could be a night for some guys we're not used to seeing in the lineup. Yeah, I'm I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm looking forward to the other guys getting some run and uh and I do get ballet sports by the way, so uh, I'll be watching tonight for sure. So and I really do appreciate you and Maddie uh joining us for the game the other night. We had a great time and uh we'll have to do it again soon. 
Great, great time we did. Yeah, one of the, count your blessings for Bally Sports, Jimmy, because I don't know if everybody else can uh, feel the same on that end. Uh, all right, Andy, you said uh, me lead off. Here? Yeah, you go ahead and lead off today. Okay. Switch it up a little bit. Give all right, Jimmy, Jimmy a good chance here. Let's go, Jimmy. We got some lengthy ones, so bear with us here. The Rangers set several Major League playoff and World Series records in their 11-7 win over the Diamondbacks last night in Phoenix. The Rangers used a five-run second inning and a five-run third inning to jump out to a quick 10-0 lead. They in the last team to score five or more runs in back-to-back World Series innings. Some would say it's something you don't see very often. Uh, A, the Rangers are the first. B, the 91 Braves. C, the 1960 Yankees. Or D, the 1989 Athletics. Rangers are the first. Uh, All right, let's go. Jimmy knows Good Scotty. Start. Like the there back we go. Of his hand here. All right, question number two. In that big second inning, the Rangers hit for the cycle as a team. Name the last team to have a single, double, triple, and a home run in the same inning of a World Series game. Is it A, the Rangers are the first, B, the 2001 Arizona Diamondbacks, C, the 1991 Atlanta Braves, or D, the 1930 Philadelphia Athletics? I'll go, I'll go with the athletic. Okay. That would be D. Are you sure yeah. about that, Jimmy? No, not sure at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, just wanted, I just wanted to make sure you were sure on that. I'll go with A. Okay. Should I ask him if he's sure again? Well, I was going to leave that up to you. I was just sitting over sitting over here in silence. All right, Jimmy, number three here, the Pacers and the Celtics uh, tonight at the Garden, as Scotty, I think, phonetically spells here. Uh, Boston took three of four from the Pacers last season. Who was the head coach of the Pacers the last time that Indiana took a season series from Boston? Was it Nate McMillan, Frank Vogel, the legend that is Nate Bjorkren? Can we get some togetherness audio, Mark? <laughs> or Jim O'Brien? Hmm. Jimmy, this guy's pretty respected around the league. Frank Vogel. Nate McMillan, Nate McMillan. Oh, oh, oh I, I would say trust your trust your first gut Frank there. Frank Vogel, Vogel. Yeah, uh-huh. Remember they tell you, Jimmy, when you're doing a, a Scantron test, to go with your first instinct right, right. all the time. What are you saying? Nate Bjorkren is not well-respected around the league? Uh, it's just about the readiness and the togetherness. They have a very high care factor. <laughs> Thank you. I love when coaches say stuff like that. No better coach for the COVID year than Nate Bjorkren there. <laughs> All right, let's go. Question number four. Good, Jimmy. Happy 77th birthday to the NBA. The first game in what was uh, then known as the Basketball Association of America took place on November 1st, 1946. Where was the inaugural regular season game in the NBA history played? Was it Philadelphia Arena? Was it Madison Square Garden? Chicago Stadium? Or Maple Leafs Garden? Maple Leaf Gardens, excuse me. Madison Square Garden. It's a tough one. It's quite the um, difference in tone from Greg Doyle in the 9 o'clock hour yesterday to good Jimmy in the 9 o'clock hour today. Not as uh, much COVID talk, for We sure. will round this out. On this day in 1924, the Boston Bruins, Jimmy, officially joined the National Hockey League. Which was the first United States base team in the NHL? Was it the Bruins, the New York Rangers, the New York Americans, or the Pittsburgh Pirates? 
I'm going to go. I'm going to go with uh, the Boston Bruins. Boy, Jimmy, you are a smart fellow here. They did pretty good. Uh, Jimmy did good. I mean, this pop quiz, let's be honest. This pop quiz is reminiscent of Bally Sports from Scotty here (laughs) with his efforts. Uh, I see number one, correct? They have a very high care factor. Mm -hmm, Thank you there, Coach Bjorkren. I see number three was right. Uh, It's just about the readiness and the togetherness. And then uh, I believe the Bruins, correct? That is correct. Three out of five, pretty solid. Jimmy, good work there. Uh, two and four, Andy. Yeah, Sweeney. two and four. The 1991 Braves, the last team to hit for a cycle in the same inning of a World Series game. And then the NBA, November 1st, 1946, the first game was played in the Maple Leaf Gardens. The Knicks beat the Toronto Huskies. Can you keep Jimmy on the line? I got one I got one, one question for him. Sure. Jimmy, oh, did he hang up? Did oh, we he did him? hang up. Oh, Jimmy, you got to hang on, man. Come on. I was going to ask him a Tiger Woods-related question. Is he a big Tiger fan? Big Tiger fan. Is he? You got the Tiger hat on today. I do have my Tiger hat on. Mark, great work there finding the Nate Bjorkren audio. Oh, thank you. Uh, Andy, do you have any idea, any memory of Nate Bjorkren as the Pacers head coach? Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I know the name, but any any memory where I could say, hey, remember that uh, you know post-game press conference that he did against the Sixers or the Raptors? No. No. Plus, that was a COVID year. Everything's a blur that year anyway. Was he the head coach when Goga and the assistant coach got into a fight on the floor? (laughs) He was the human form of paint drying, I think, as I recall. Uh, Yeah. Now, you could argue Shane Sykin gives him a run for his money in some of these press conferences. Speak, speaking of Doyle, I got into some sort of Twitter exchange where people were arguing COVID yesterday Ooh, because boy, I was because one. I was tagged in it with uh, with Doyle. I'm like, man, that, you, it's a special place in hell right you now. You do the triple bubble Twitter. and you say, leave conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, man. Now, have they, have they done a settlement with Gruden or is that still being... I mean, I can't remember. He was disgraced. I mean, for some reason, I feel like he got off the hook there with the Raiders that they didn't have to pay him all that money. Okay, now, I'm looking at it right now. Two hours ago, USA Today. I just typed this in Google. The Raiders must pay Josh McDaniels and John Gruden not to coach them. That's the headline. Wow. How about this right here from David from Greenwood? My hot take is that Josh McDaniels would be an assistant coach with the Patriots and then replace Bill Belichick. That was always the hot rumor when he was still like, you know, the young hot candidate in the NFL was like, he's just going to wait till Belichick hangs it up. And Belichick's still hanging on for dear life. Yeah, just, I don't understand the infatuation. He did a good job when he was with Tom Brady, but he hasn't done a good job, even a fair job, even an average job, has he? Since Tom Brady, like in, in in any sort of way, I did see the theory that he would be the OC there back in New England next year. He'll be and Nick Saban's OC. Yeah, Nick Vrabel would be the head coach. <laughs> yeah, he, he's going to go hang with Saban for a season. Now, easily the best Belichick assistant head coach has been Bill O'Brien, right? Not Mike Vrabel. Was Vrabel ever a Belichick? Was he? Assistant? Oh, I guess he's with them. I get. Yeah, I didn't mean. I thought you meant just in general. Okay, so. Before this year, it would have been Brian Dable, but Dable left and did you know the Josh Allen thing in Buffalo. So if you want to count him, but he was long time there with Belichick, had a good first year, and then this year has been one of the worst coaches in game uh, in the entire NFL. Like the Bill O'Brien win loss record in Houston is yeah. very respectable. It, is, I mean, it is. I know we have like such a negative view of Bill O'Brien, probably more as a GM than as a head coach. 
But like, didn't they win double digit games in four of his six seasons? Uh, like I'm, yeah, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it here. Years? He was nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven, four and twelve, eleven and five, and ten and six. Uh, yeah, he finished. So they made the playoffs, and how many? Yeah, of the, yeah, the four, he, six. He he won the AFC South four years. He finished second his first year, finished fourth in 2017, and then was fired four games into 2020. He was zero and four. God, is that's that more, a rough. Is that more of an indictment on the AFC South than anything? Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, a couple of those years, eleven and five and ten and six. But yeah, anytime you win your your division there at nine and seven, it I, tells you what you need to know. I'm just realizing that Notre Dame Hanover is not going to be streamed anywhere. So you and have that be, just ruined my night. So you have to be in. I mean, there's no one that's going to hold up a. Should I drive up? How long a drive is South Bend from here? Uh, two hours and twelve okay. minutes. Uh, I mean, maybe less. I mean, you know, if you gun it. Why don't you not do that? If you're going to leave the family for a night, I'm not sure a Rank Hanover and I are Notre going Dame. up to a game together in <laughs> December. Yeah, Rank he's a Notre Dame fan. Well, he knows. Uh, he just likes he, well, he knows a little bit of Micah, and he knows okay. I think Ryan Owens on the staff as well. Um, I cannot wait. Greg Regshaw and I driving up to watch Notre Dame, and I think it's the Citadel. What do you guys listen to on the way up? I, I, hopefully, just Rake's voice. <laughs> He just he just talks to you the yeah, entire two and a half you guys hours. Are gonna paint your chest and have like coordinated <laughs> stuff. I going would on. like to. I will double check with Rake if he's good with that. But I would like to. Now, Windsor game in Knoxville again. The football game. Oh, that is coming up in a few weeks. Yeah. Uh huh. That's gonna be cold up there. Ooh, cold spy week. Tennessee might be good. I mean, they were in the top. Uh, they were in the college football playoff rankings. They were seventeenth. I was curious where they were at. Yeah, seventeenth. Yeah. They're wedged between Oregon State and Utah. Now, Notre Dame 15th, is that what it was? Yeah, Notre Dame was 15th. They're wedged between Oregon State and LSU. Gosh, we, we got to get to the 12-team playoff. It's just, college football is just well, so much coming. of like... It's, what, it's yeah, next year, yeah. What are you playing for? You know, Does, does Notre Dame-Clemson matter on Saturday? Uh, no, I don't know. How good of a bowl can you... Yeah, I mean, if Notre, I mean, Dame's Notre Dame going to the Gasparillo Bowl, does it matter no. if they get into a New Year's Six well, Bowl? Well, that, that's that's for you to decide. I know. Yeah. And fandom's just weird. I, I, no, I, I, like think, I, I think there's probably, besides the college football playoff, there's four or five bowls that are respected enough to where, like, I, I, I would go to that particular bowl. Right. But once you get past that... Uh, especially if you're a Notre Dame snob God, football fan, ten and two now. sounds so much better than nine and three, though. So I'm going to say Saturday matters. For well, Notre if Dame. you like, if you like Freeman, it's like I yeah, get a ten win season. Yeah, that ten win season thing can be used, uh, you know, in your favor quite a bit. Yeah, that that, that sounds good, and I guess it looks better. Missouri at twelve. No, listen, I think Notre Dame at fifteen. I think there's a chance they can finish ahead of LSU. Louisville. Well, some of those teams are going to beat each other up. Well, right? yeah, in Missouri. I mean, Missouri's not going to be 12, and I don't believe Ole Miss is going to stay in the top 10. And quite frankly, backup quarterback in Texas, there's three, four teams right there where if Notre Dame can just hang on, they can be, you know, 10 or 11, something like that pretty soon here. Next not going to be Arch Manning, though, right? Starting for Texas. Uh, it's not going to be Arch Manning, who I totally forgot about, who everyone's forgot about. We talked about him for two years, three years. Probably good for him that we forgot about him for well, a year. He gets a red shirt year. He know? gets the Jarris Walker year. I kind of feel like that'd be nice for Bronny James. Obviously, he hope Bronny's health is good, but you know, it might 
be well served for some of these individuals. Uh, last name Manning yeah. and LeBron. Yeah, but is 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 Brian James allowed? Is level. he allowed to do that to kind of sit for a no. year and be in college for two years? Probably not. Although I think USC has like some stud freshman that's supposed to be a top five pick. Collier, I think is his last uh, name. Yeah, they did because Trey White left them and went to Louisville. That's the only reason I know that because he got pushed out because they got a couple good guards. Yeah, All right, Isaiah we'll, Collier, I believe. We'll do it one final time here. It's a wake up call with KB and Andy on an overcast Wednesday in Indy. A fan. All right, final segment. Remember, uh, remember, easy for me to say. If you miss any of the show, you can check it out. Podcast Center 1075thefan.com. You can download the free app and listen anywhere in the world. Uh, I believe what Brian No is in for Jake. Jake is, is somewhere in Europe right now. He's backpacking through Europe, something he always <laughs> wanted to do when he was 20 years old. Is he really backpacking? <laughs> no, he's probably staying at a lavish hotel. <laughs> he better be. Yeah, he better not be staying at like a hostel or something like that. Come on. What are we doing here? Brad, Jake Query. Brad just asked this in the YouTube chat. I, I thought this was kind of a uh, drawback to last year, and I know a lot of people probably want to forget it, but this time last year, Jeff Saturday, uh, I think it was actually the one-year anniversary of the Jeff Saturday hires next week. Uh, his offensive coordinator, you remember the name Parks Frazier? Okay, so I, I do for a number of reasons, but go ahead. I've met him before. Go ahead. You've met Parks? Yeah. Nice dude. Yeah, he, he young guy. He's like, what, 35? Maybe something oh, like that. Is that. he older than that? Yeah. yeah, I'd say if that. Well, um, his wife used to work for Colts.com. Oh, yeah, Caroline can. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, she was great. Um, That's why I knew her, because yeah. I met her at the NFL Combine. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed working with Caroline. And Parks, a great dude. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator. Now he is in Carolina. Uh-huh. With yeah, I saw that. Frank Reich, he is a member of Frank Reich's staff. Not the OC. Now, Frank gave up play calling duties last week. Thomas Brown, first week of him calling the plays. So, Stephen Holder mentioned earlier, again, for me, it's Gus Bradley. Okay, how much intel would he have on Frank Reich? Well, it's a new play caller, so maybe not as much. You would think that Frank would have more of the intel on Gus Bradley, considering he is the play caller. So, I think that's a matchup certainly to watch for coming up on Sunday. I've, I have very little confidence in this game for the Colts, and I shouldn't. The Colts are a better team than the Carolina you like Carolina Panthers. in this one? I'm leaning Carolina. I just, I don't know. There's is Carolina just the mojo around this team. Yes, they're not good. I, I understand. This is, this is more about the Colts than it is the Panthers. I mean, the Panthers got a quality win on, on Sunday over the Texans. I mean, it's quality. I mean, the Colts have beat the Texans as well. I think they could beat them later on the season. I don't. I mean, they just they got to stop the bleeding at some point. I just, I, I don't know, Which man. Is something I just they don't have know. Done. I know that you know this is the Steichen era, but you know recently they have done a nice job of when things have started to leak, they have stopped it. Um, certainly, the opponents in Carolina and New England. Each of the next two weeks, uh, it would be very important for them to do that. Is Jake staying over there for Colts? Whoever? No, Colts, Patriots? So. No, he's it's not staying over that long. No. Got right. the week. Is he going to Dolphins Chiefs? <laughs> I doubt it. How about that? No. It's a hell of a game coming I mean, that, up at 9 a.m. Yeah, we, we send one of our best games over there, so Pacers that's fantastic. and Celtics, our coverage begins at 7, a 7.30 tip tonight. We'll continue to monitor that injury report throughout the day for the Pacers, and the Colts have their first practice of the week. Everybody have a great Wednesday.